welcome to episode 203 of the Redbox Report, the weekly movie podcast where we review the latest Blu-rays and DVD releases for Redbox. I'm your host, Bob Phelan. I'm your co-host, Joel Phelan. And with us this week are a couple special guests we're happy to have here in celebration of the 2017 Summer Box Office Draft. In this corner... You have Casey Brady, I'm back. Original co-host of the show is back. He can't get enough. He he had to sit out two years. He's rested. He's ready to give it all he's got. And in the other corner, we have our favorite guest, of course, from CutPrintFilm.com, Mr. Edgar Chaput. Good evening, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. And uh, watch out, man. I'm first time ever. I'm defending champion heading yeah. into this thing. I'm feeling good about myself. That's right. He won the fall box office draft. I don't know if we can count the fall, the fall draft. <laughs> yes, we can. Yes, we can. <laughs> it's the the winter league of uh, of these things. The summer season is is when it's at its hottest, and I'm really excited to get to that later in the show. But first, we're going to review La La Land, which was the best picture winner until it wasn't. And we're also going to go over our top five musical scenes. Something a little different, but. Edgar brilliantly brought this idea, and much like the top five action scenes we did once with him, it won the day. So how's it going, everybody? That's a great way to get everyone talking at once. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Joel, what's up? Nobody at all. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What's Uh, up, Joel? It's spring. There's a lot of pollen in the air. And, yeah. But I'm, I'm so happy the weather's getting nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. And what's new with you, Edgar? Uh, basketball, man. As uh, i got the game on right now. I need these Celtics to win this right now. Busy at the job, making money, getting some raises, getting some bonuses, and uh, just uh, spending that cash on hookers and... Bo- I'm sorry. <laughs> I, is that, are we recording right <laughs> No, not at all. <laughs> But uh, Edgar, coming off his great appearance on the Manchester by the Sea episode 196 a few weeks back, he's back again. And Casey, it's been a long time. It's been about two years. What you been up to, man? Not much. I, I did get a new job. Things are starting to settle down, which has allowed me to come back for at least yes. one podcast at least, in at two least. years. So, <laughs> uh, Hopefully more to come. Hopefully. Time will tell. Time will tell. But all right, before we get into our review, I just wanted to mention a few things. Once again, I want to mention that the podcast has a new podcast feed, that if you are currently subscribed to the old one, go ahead, unsubscribe, but only for a second. Go ahead back on iTunes, resubscribe, or uh, just use the link that I will put in the show notes. I think it's only, this might be the last episode of the old feed, so if you snooze, you lose. And also, we, I forgot to mention this last week, but we now have an Amazon link on the new website where... If you click that link, it takes you to Amazon, and then nothing's changed for you, but anything you purchase, we will get a small kickback for uh, you using our website. And uh, as I think we found out, I was talking to Edgar about a few weeks ago, I think it's U.S. only, so Canada need not apply, unfortunately. That's a shame. I was ready to buy so many La La Land DVDs and Blu-rays. <laughs> Absolutely. How in 2017 does that happen? I know. I mean, I'm not saying we're not different countries, but (laughs) the U.S. and Canada, I mean, come on. They want as little to do with us as possible right now. 
<laughs> well, I kind of wanted as little to do with us as possible, too, so I don't blame them. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think they have their own Amazon place. I think I have, would have to sign up for like a separate link just for Canada only for some reason. Huh. It is what it is. Let's get to La La Land, which is what a long synopsis here on IMDb. A jazz pianist falls for an aspiring actress in Los Angeles. That, yeah, that's pretty much it. And uh, it's a musical. It's a modern musical, original musical, brought to the screen by director Damien Chazelle coming off his directorial debut, Whiplash, from a few years ago, movie I loved. We reviewed on the podcast and starring Emma Stone, my man Ryan Gosling, also got John Legend in there. But uh, one of the most buzzed about heavy favorite to win the Oscars going into award season last year. Uh, what were we thinking coming to this expectations-wise? I know, at least from most of the people that I heard talking about it beforehand, they were saying, I don't know, I'm not really into musicals. That seemed to be a common sentiment. They were a little worried about that. But how about you guys? Joel, you I, first. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not really into musicals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I never, I haven't really heard anyone say much bad things about this movie, so I don't know. I wasn't expecting it to be bad, but at the same time, I sort of put it off because it was a musical. Yep, you played into that prejudice. But it did have a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. I know you love Rotten Tomatoes, Edgar. What were you thinking coming in? Love Rotten Tomatoes. Check it every day. Um, I, I have to admit, I sort of have to echo Joel's sentiments here. I, I'm not a musical guy. And uh, I basically went to see this movie so I could uh, so I could participate in the summer box office draft <laughs> and do the top five. I would not have seen this movie otherwise. I was lucky enough that it was actually still playing in theaters this was a couple of weeks ago i don't know if it's still playing but i guess the oscar hype and the oscar blooper meant that it, it gave it a couple of, uh, some extra legs so yeah, to speak but as far as expectations up. went no it's not not much now yeah casey um i uh am kind of the same way uh i feel that cinema is or should be a nice blend of visuals and sound i feel like a musical kind of takes over in the sound department and kind of the visuals go on the back burner, uh, which usually lessens the movie, in my opinion. So uh, I wasn't expecting too much. Yeah, and I hate to echo three other people, but uh, not super into musicals. And But the excellent buzz, I've, I, beforehand I was hearing from critics that they also said they weren't super into musicals and they loved it. So try to keep an open mind. Anything with Ryan Gosling in it, I'm going to... You know, embrace, but uh, so yeah, it hasn't I, changed. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't changed a bit. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree with you, Casey, in that sometimes or most of the time, musicals, at least, you know, not unless you're talking about something like Once, when it's more like a, a spin on it, where it's not song and dance, where you're singing your dialogue and stuff. It can kind of come across as stagey, like a, just like it's a filmed play or something like that. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, yeah, I was optimistic but reserved in my expectations. But uh, overall, I really enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I was very pleasantly surprised. I don't think it lived up to the extreme hype that it got, but uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. How about you, Joel? 
Um, yeah, I kind of feel the same way where it didn't quite live up to the hype for me, but, um, I don't know. I guess I liked the movie. Uh, I don't think it was for me, but I do think it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, ringing endorsement. (laughs) (laughs) Edgar? Um, well, this movie, this movie is sort of like corn, you know, it looks the same when it goes in as it does when it goes out. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't feel very much during this film. It, it, it is what it is, as, as tired and as boring as that expression is. Um, yeah, I, I saw this for the summer 2017 box office trend. I I didn't feel much. I, I, you know, it's easy for me to say I don't remember the songs because I saw it at this point about two, two and a half weeks ago. I didn't remember the songs 10 minutes after leaving the theater room. Like, um, it looks nice. Um, I'm not, I think I'm just not sufficiently well versed in, in musicals and their sort of their aesthetic Mm -hmm. and, and the lightness of touch that sometimes comes with them. I have to imagine it's probably somebody that understands nothing about, Star Trek and then watches, you know, The Wrath of Khan. They're like, well, what's okay? I can sort of get it, but what's the big deal? And that was sort of me with La La Land. Um, well, you know, I don't want to hog the mic here. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll each have our turns as to what we liked and what we didn't like. But yeah, I just I didn't really care for it that much, although I can sort of see why people love it so much. But I, I didn't know. Well, as I was saying, I, I, with musicals, usually the sound uh is the emphasis and the visuals are not. I thought with La La Land, it was the complete opposite. The visuals were, I thought, spectacular. The editing was great. The music, as you said, was horrible. Well, I would say horrible. In my opinion, it was (laughs) god-awful. It was, I don't remember any of the tunes, I don't remember any of the lyrics, any of the songs. The choreography that went along with the music was almost just as bad. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I, I was, I was, I thought it was unbelievable how tame the choreography was. But again, I don't know musicals, but I thought it sucked. Yeah, same here. Uh, but visually, I thought, it, I thought it was very appealing. Um, I loved in which the way I think it was one of the bathroom scenes uh, where uh, Emma, like the background, kind of goes dark and she kind of brightens up a little bit. Um, and she starts to do one of her little musical uh, numbers, but I didn't even hear one word she sang. I could just see how nice the movie was, but not hear it. Um, and along with that, the story, I thought, was very bland and plain and um, kind of just mumbling along, not really meaning for anything to happen. Okay. I can certainly see where you're coming from. I actually agree with you a lot on the, the visuals is... Is much more important to this movie than than the music. I I wouldn't say that the music numbers were bad. Like I enjoyed them when they were happening, but I agree. I couldn't. I mean, I've rewatched the movie a second time, so I kind of know a little bit more familiar with it. But yeah, afterwards, uh, that's not what I'm remembering. I, what I do remember is the score. I think that the music running behind it between musical numbers was really good, actually. And I had that little dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun stuck in my head for the past couple of days. But, yeah, the songs themselves, not too much. But. Dancing on your way, on your way, <laughs> dancing to work. Yeah, delivering mail, like doing flips and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the 
the direction is where it's key. I mean, it looks beautiful. The costumes are bright, and he can direct the hell out of anything. I mean, Whiplash was great direction, and and this is uh, no slouch. Uh, I actually think it's not as much of a musical as I was expecting. I would say the first 40 minutes were my favorite part of the movie, and that's when it was most like a musical. I really enjoyed the opening number on the uh, crowded traffic streets of L.A., and uh, the number when she's getting ready to go out to that party, like all the way up until they have their first little meeting where they're dancing together, kind of playing hard to get with each other. Loved all that. But then the middle 40 minutes really just, there was like no music whatsoever. It, it just stalled to a halt. Even though technically it was still well done, I thought it was kind of boring. And like you said, with it's just a basic love story for the most part. I mean, I think they do some different things where he is, uh, there's something a little bit different, I think, but basically overall it is pretty straightforward and without having that pizzazz that it had in the opening, that it just lost me as far as my investment in these characters. But what did we think of these characters? I can't remember the, oh, Mia was Emma Stone. <laughs> But Ryan Gosling, I can't remember his character's name. What did we think of that? How much does that say? That you can't even re remember their names. He's still the best part of the movie. Um, Go on. Oh, <laughs> he was one of the worst parts, in my opinion. And you have turned me to a Ryan fan, but Emma easily, easily oh, she was, great. She was, great. was the best yeah. part. I mean, what the, what the one scene when she's in um, the audition, the audition and scene. she's talking on the phone and she starts to cry. I thought, wow. I mean, even though that's meta acting, it was incredible, like fantastic. And then you see Ryan trying to be a type of character that he just can't be. It would almost be like George Clooney trying well, to be yeah, a unlikable character, exactly. <laughs> and it's just, no, nah, you can't. You still love him no matter what? Not <laughs> in this movie. What are your thoughts on these characters, Edgar? Um, well, I, I, one of my biggest issues with the film for setting aside, you know, the, the, the music was was actually Ryan Gosling's character. I think his name is Jazzman or something like that. <laughs> I just, I didn't really... It's a love story. This goes a little bit back to what Casey was saying, actually. It, it's a relatively plain love story. And I couldn't quite figure out, well, what does uh, Mia see in this guy? Um, he's obviously playing a bit of a He's a little bit anal retentive about the things that he appreciates, which is predominantly jazz, and and he expresses it in in very anal retentive ways, which in of itself isn't a problem. Only that I don't think it aided the love story in any shape or form. I, I couldn't figure out why she was falling in love with him. Uh, I didn't really get that angle, and that that hurt the film a lot for me because that's, I mean, the whole story hinges hinges. <laughs> on on this on this plot, um, so that was a bit problematic for me. Uh, I also agree with Casey. I, I feel like the the, the 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 dividing lines have been drawn. It's me and Casey, and and you and, and uh, Joel and Bob here. But um, yeah, I thought I thought Emma Stone was was overwhelmingly superior to Ryan Gosling in this film. I don't frankly, I didn't think Ryan Gosling was all that good uh, in this film, and his singing was awful. His dancing was awful, and I'm not a Ryan Gosling hater. I think he's fine, generally, but I 
I did not like him very much in this film, which is not something I say very much. I'm, a, I'm really an actor and actresses kind of a guy, and but I did not like him very much here. I'm crushed, and uh, Joel, surely you could see why someone could fall in love with Ryan Gosling. Set yeah, story. of course, he's he's dreamy. <laughs> Love boat, I don't know. <laughs> Those sleepy eyes of his and that gaze of his. <laughs> no, I can certainly understand what you mean. Emma Stone is the star of the show, for sure. I did have to say, I was really surprised that they did not try to alter his voice, because he did not sing well, even slightly. Nah, that's fair. That's fair. It's certainly, at least they didn't, like, auto-tune it to hell, you know. Uh, but what did you think about the characters, Joel? Um... It- Boring for the most part. I mean, Emma Stone uh, clearly started the show. Um, I thought they had great chemistry for that matter. Yeah. I mean, um, but yeah, it just the movie just kind of bumbled along. It was it was nice to look at. I don't know. I, I apologize if I'm repeating what everyone else said, but <laughs> there's four of us here. It could happen. I, um, I don't think I dislike all of the music quite as much as everybody else. Like I, I thought there. Were, I can't remember any of it. Like <laughs> I, I must admit that. But yeah. I thought some scenes the music fit better than others. But well, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really see quite. I think this movie is a bit overhyped, and I think that definitely kind of affected my opinion watching it. I will say, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with their chemistry. Um, what was the movie before? Crazy they Stupid were... Love? Yeah. They... Or even um, that terrible movie with Gangster Squad? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, wow. You, like, you, you could almost imagine them being lovers outside, and they might have been, but... Um, yeah, their chemistry on He's camera. He's with Eva Mendes. He would never oh. betray her. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but on camera, you you can truly believe their relationship. Yeah, for sure. Um, so even though, yeah, there's no reason for Emma to ever fall in love with, uh, what's his name, Sebastian? Um, Sebastian. Seb. Seb, Seb yeah. Um, there is, as you said, Edgar, there's no reason for her to fall in love with him. But you still, at least I still believed it because of their chemistry. Yeah, um, I agree with that completely. Yeah, it's, the vibe I kind of got from it was just like one of those things that like love is only like a rational thing. Yeah. And I guess I thought that just because I thought their chemistry was so good. But yeah, I agree. I don't really understand what her fascination with him was. <laughs> and it was. I think it's one thing. No, go ahead, Bob. No, I was just going to say, at least in the beginning, they tried to make it like. They hated each other, but it was almost like destiny. Or really, why did they get together? Because they obviously did not like each other very much. But uh, they did end up together. <laughs> I don't got anything. What were you going to say? I was just going to further add to, 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 to somebody's point there about the, the, the chemistry or, or the um, the irrationality of, of love. I mean, fair, fair enough, but... This is supposed to be a movie and a musical, no less, where people just stop doing what they're doing and start breaking out into song and dance. So it's not, you know, by definition, it's not super realistic. So, you know, the irrationality of love seems like a very realistic argument. When we're talking about a musical. I would have liked um, 
and again, you know, I'm falling into, I'm realizing as I say this, I'm falling into the age old trap of, of arguing for the movie I wanted and not the one I got, which mm-hmm. is not the best thing to do. But, you know, I, I think the movie might have been a little bit better if they had just sold that, that chemistry a little bit more by making Ryan Gosling, or excuse me, Jazzman, something other than, than a douchebag. I'm sorry to borrow that term, but that's what he struck me as. No, you know, I'm sure Gosling's doing. You know what the script asked of him, and what the, the director asked of him. Uh, but but uh, I didn't think. Again, I, I did not believe in that irrationality. They didn't sell it to me, and I think it had a lot to do with with Ryan Gosling's character. Yeah, that makes sense. Casey, got anything? I was just going to say the one thing that, not the one thing, but another thing that really got me was at the very end. Why did they not end up together? Spoiler alert! Oh, well. <laughs> sorry. Potentially, uh, potentially. But it doesn't. There's no reason for them not to. Um, she goes away to Paris or something. But afterwards, I mean, she came back. Opportunity knocks, man. And married someone else. Why wouldn't they have at least tried? I like actually really like that. I mean, we are getting into full spoilers now. Fuck it, let's do it. But I, I really, really enjoyed that because. That's life, man. They were got into this huge fight, which actually I thought was a scene that was really well done. A very realistic fight when he cooked their dinner and they got into argument about whatever. He's not doing what he loves, whatever. But but then the next they scene... They did make up, for sure. Literally the but next scene. she's gone for seven months in Italy, in some romantic country. But the thing is, based off of what they tried to make these characters be... How they are kind of these She's got helpless no loyalty, man. romantics. She's got no loyalty. Long distance would mean nothing between these two <laughs> characters. I like yeah, it. in real life, sure, but I feel like based upon these two characters, it shouldn't have mattered. <sighs> I just you know what it's you know what that felt like that that felt like to me. And this might be me reading too much into it. This might be me and and my lack of appreciation of, of the film sort of giving me ideas that that aren't true, that aren't factual. But and I'm willing to admit that. But it felt, and and I swear, I felt this as I was, as the movie was playing out. I felt like that decision for them not to be together, that that wasn't organic. The idea was, oh, let's have this final number where she sees another life flash. We're in spoilers, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> where she sees another life flash before her eyes when she goes to the music. Or she goes back to his his club several years later. That was the decision, and then they went backwards and said, "Well, we have to make that happen somehow. Let's just I don't know have them not end up together." It it, it didn't feel very organic to me. Now, is it because it's now almost two hours into this film, which I don't really care very much for? So I'm overthinking it. I'm being too negative, but I I can't deny what I felt. And that's sort of what I felt. I felt like it wasn't very organic it wasn't um it lacked it lacked like a genuine quality about it if it felt like it felt like d had been decided and they had to figure out what a b and c were going to be you know i actually agree with you but i feel like that end sequence with her you know what could have been uh daydream was actually so well done that it was worth it i thought that was really really well done yeah i agree i really liked the ending actually i was Sort of reading about it, I heard some people say some things about the end, like uh, reading non-spoiler reviews. So I was curious, but 
I thought that part was really well done. I also got to say, I do think the transitions into the music parts were really good, but maybe the music parts weren't so good themselves. Yeah. Well, what did we think of the... Um, I thought it was a little nail on the head with starts out in winter when they're at their lowest, then it's spring when they start falling in love, summer is when they're at their happiest, which was actually the most boring part, and then fall... Falling apart and then winter again. I mean, that's pretty on the nose. As much as I love the movie, that was like pretty ba- pretty bad. I thought. See, that's surprising. Because um, I actually I liked it. Uh, I like when uh, they kind of segment the movie like that. Um, Just was and you see Tarantino Tarantino do it all the time. Yeah. But of course, he does it in a much more uh, <laughs> pleasing <Shelly>. way. Um, <laughs> it's a nitpick, but. But I actually I, I liked it. I like okay. I like when there's a little bit more structure, I guess, in the movie. But okay, anyone else? Um, <laughs> I'll I did it again. <laughs> um, I don't know. It can go either way for me. I think sometimes the lack of structure is like a good part of the movie if it's done right. But uh, I don't think the structure of this movie served it well. I actually agree with that, Joel. In fact, uh, every time the title card announcing what season the story was in appeared, I I had forgotten that <laughs> that the director was using that structure. So that's how little it affected me. So it's I I didn't like it or dislike it. I kept forgetting that he was actually using that. I was like, oh right, it was fall. <laughs> All right, it was winter. Like, so no, very. Uh, I don't think its absence would have meant a lack of structure necessarily. I, I thought it, it meant so little to the overall plot. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't even clue in on what you said, which was fairly astute, Bob. Oh, spring, the love is blossoming. Summer, they're madly in love. You know, classic summer love. Uh, I mean, good on you for 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 for, um, for figuring that one out. I did not even think of that. I mean, it's definitely something I picked up more on my second watch. It wasn't something I focused on a whole lot the first time, but. Yeah, it was there, I guess. But what did we think of... Uh, just a couple more things, and then we can wrap it up. But what did we think about the the dynamic between uh, Sebi and John Legend? I think that's his character's name. No, it's the real actor's name. But how he meets up with his old buddy who wants to get him in this band, but they're not being very traditional jazz the way he likes. They're sprucing it up with some, like, electronica and... And he just goes along with it for the paycheck instead of following his dreams. So they tried to set it up like there was some very gigantic big beef between them. Somehow John Legend's character ripped off uh, Gosling. But they just drop it. They ignore it. They pretend like they never said it earlier in the movie. And it becomes about not playing real jazz. It's a a statement on the way men act against each other where... No, I don't know. (laughs) But I just don't understand why they would bring something up. And then kind of forget about it. Um, it's, it's it's funny. I actually didn't read it as such. Here I am. I'm, I'm about to offer some sort of defense for the movie. Uh, I actually, that's that's how I initially saw it in that first scene when they're in a, a bar, I think, and, and they, they see each other for the first time in a while. And you can you can sense there's a bit of tension there. And I, and I thought that's what was going on, like you, Casey, but... As that sort of subplot developed, I concluded or I drew 
the conclusion that, okay, what maybe wasn't necessarily a, a fight, it's Ryan Gott, or whatever his character's name is, it's him being anal retentive about how he thinks jazz should be, and that's what caused the, quote, riff uh, between the two. It was more Ryan Gosling's character than John Legend's character. Not necessarily some sort of major fight, more just Ryan Gosling... Uh, through his own means, so through his own devices, like distancing himself from that band. But it's true, they don't really explain it. That, that, that's my own conclusion. So I, I would agree with you, except earlier in the film, um, the sister of Ryan mentions that he got ripped off. And usually when you say ripped off, uh-huh. usually yeah. you're kind of inferring that there was some kind of... Monetary. Yeah, monetary okay. loss by someone. It's weird that my, she my bad. back in the movie, too. Um, yeah, and, and it seemed like he, not that he was wealthy before, but he had money, and then now he is living, uh, you know, in an apartment that he can't even afford, he can't really pay his car bills, um, so it seems like he's now really down on his luck financially because of him. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what I read from it, and it seemed like that was the case. But. I actually thought the messengers, as they were called, their music wasn't that bad. I mean, it, it was wasn't good. fantastic. Uh, with John Legend, yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah, I thought it was good. I was like, why is he upset that he's playing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, music? it's <laughs> better, than, uh, better than City of Stars that, he, that they play like a hundred times throughout the movie. Which I think actually the piano parts are a good theme, but they really played it one too many times at least. Well, I think all this plays into, there's like a saying that the only people that like jazz are jazz musicians. Right. It's just like one of those things that you kind of have to do to like really appreciate. I mean, I'm not saying that across the board as a generalization, but it's kind of how people feel about it, I guess. Yeah, it's very fanciful to say I like jazz. Makes you look cool. I like jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate it. No, I don't know. Uh, well, between this and Whiplash, maybe I do like it more than I thought. But, um, yeah, the only other thing I would say is that I thought it was funny when it tried to be. It didn't try very often, but the scene when she finally sees him again after he blows her off uh, at the little pool party, and he's dressed up in, like, an 80s... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. And he sings I Ran. I thought I liked that scene. I also thought the photo shoot was pretty good when the guy's telling him, show your teeth, show your teeth. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, to be there, I guess, but I uh, enjoyed that scene, too. That's all I got. If anyone else has anything else to say before we give a score? Um, yeah. I obviously like this more than anybody. I will give it a light 8.5 out of 10. Oof, hot Just stuff. My number 10 or 11 movie of 2016. I'll go next, I guess. Uh, Sorry, I forgot to host. Um, I would say that I would probably give it a 7 out of 10. Uh, Not bad. Better than I thought, but still nowhere near what it should have been. All right. Edgar? Um, look, I'm going to go with what I felt. I'm going to give it a 5. Not because Ooh, it's some sort of abject failure. I just I, I, I didn't care for the music. I didn't care for the song oh. and dance. I didn't care for Ryan Gosling. It's a plain love story. Uh, I mean, the best thing about the movie is Emma Stone. She's often the best thing about the movie she's in. Um, I 
I just don't care for this movie. But again, not to sound like a broken record, but I'm just not a musicals kind of guy. To the to the point where this one, which is so beloved, I still couldn't get into it. He can be found at Double O Pop on Twitter and. (laughs) (laughs) I'm logging off Twitter for a week. (laughs) Emma Stone is great. I did. I still think she should have lost to Natalie Portman for Best Actress, but she did end up winning Best Actress, which I guess. Second best is still pretty good. What would you give it, Joel? I give it. I'm pretty much with Edgar. I give it a five and a half. Wow. Um, I can understand why people kind of like this movie and whatnot, but in my opinion, it's one of those movies that had a lot of buzz when it came out. But I don't think it's going to stand the test of time. Just besides, like some of the uh, imagery, I think some of the imagery might be somewhat iconic, but. The movie in itself, music and all, not so much. Wow. One of the most uh, mixed reviews we've ever had for a movie. I love it. But <laughs> I forgot to mention, La La Land had 14 Oscar nominations, won six Oscars, including actress for Emma Stone, director for Damien Chazelle, score, cinematography, production design, and original song. So, congratulations to La La Land. But let's get I mean- to... Original song, give me a break. Yeah, that's the one that stands out as terrible. As didn't deserve, but... Let's get into some music that we did like in cinema history. Our top five musical scenes. Now, I think pretty much we're saying anything you determine as a musical scene is qualified, whether it's an animated Disney song or a number or a musical montage or just a music cue... At least that's how I treated it. So, yeah, so did I. It's, a, it's pretty diverse in my yeah. uh, in my list. Uh, Joel, did you have a hard time with this? And what do you think of just music in general in movies? It's pretty important, eh? Yeah, uh, you always need music in movies. How weird would it be without any? Uh, I'll talk or I guess that. maybe it has been. Cool I'll talk about, about that later that. when I talk about a silent movie I watched. <laughs> I feel like in that's silent movies, <laughs> music is actually more important. Yeah, that's true. Movies. The score is way important in silent movies. But uh, continue, Joel. I'm sorry. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. Musical scenes <laughs> was it yes. tough. Yes. Um, I don't know. Like in terms of actual musical scenes, they've always kind of been my least favorite part. Even being like as a kid watching Disney movies, right. Don't get me wrong, the tune gets stuck in my head, but I always kind of wanted to fast forward through them. But, I don't know, not super important to me, but they can be super important to the movie itself. All right, we'll kick it off with your number five. My number five is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. All right, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. I was terrified of this movie as a kid. There's monkeys. It's monkeys, oh, yeah. the witch. It's a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hate horror, so we know, but, we know that. But, I mean, it's... To be iconic. honest, it, it's probably the most iconic music scene in movies. Yeah, uh, maybe. Sure. Or at least, like, in the top three or five. It's but, definitely well-known, that's for sure. I think my daughter uh, even knows it. And I don't think she's seen the movie, so... Yeah, it's one of the, it's almost like 
part of lexicon or whatever you call it like at this case. point. But uh, I don't know, super super iconic part. From, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the movie at this point. I haven't seen it in so long. So just uh, give us a taste of that song. Sing it. Beautiful, beautiful. Edgar, your thoughts on the list? They're putting it together, and it's difficulty. And your number five. Uh, it, it took me uh, maybe a day or, or, or two to, to get something that that I would be happy with. Um, you know, I, I just butchered, you know, La La Land. So here I am, you know, putting a, a, a list of my favorite scenes that were music features heavily. So that was a little bit weird. <laughs> but um, but I think I came up with a list that um, <laughs> I'm just looking at the list now. There are two of them, which actually, wow, that's weird. I'll get to it. Anyway, so my number five is um, every time I've been on here, I've never actually put a James Bond movie on here. I try to refrain from that, but I couldn't help myself here. Uh, we're going back to Thunderball, and there's a really awesome scene where um, James Bond, he's in the Bahamas, so obviously it's like it's it's pretty sexy down there. It's the 60s, the swinging 60s, and he goes to this, he's being chased by a bunch of assassins, among them a smoking hot red, a redhead, uh, a ginger. And he goes to, go to uh, this place. La La Land theme. Pardon me. To go along with the La La Land theme. Absolutely, that's why it's here. That, thank you, Bob. <laughs> yep. And uh, they go to the Kiss Kiss Club, and he's been shot in the leg. And this hot uh, vixen finds him there, and they start dancing. And there's like this bongos, this bongo sort of very rhythmic music playing in the background because it's this club and. And the rhythm, it's going faster and faster and faster. And the musicians are hitting the bongos faster and harder and harder and faster and faster. And you can see a gun peer out from somewhere because they're going to assassinate Bond. And just as it reaches its crescendo, he sort of spins his his tormentor around and she gets shot in the back. And he drags over to a couple's table and he says, do you mind if my friend sits with this, sits this one out? She's just dead. And... <laughs> He leaves. Now that's awesome scene. Finally got a James Bond on one of these lists. It's about damn time. Yeah. Eighth podcast with us. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Should have been 007, actually. <laughs> yeah. Casey, how about your thoughts on just, you know, music in movies, how they're put together, and your number five? Uh, music is one of the most integral parts of movies. Uh, it really brings the visuals to life. Um, and, I, and it's extremely important. It, yeah. It is. Uh, as much as I always, I, at least I used to always say that the music to me was the least important part, and it, it is in a way, um, it's still there in the background. It's still making uh, you evoke emotions um, kind of subconsciously. Yeah, when um, it's well done, you barely even notice. Exactly. Um, and so, to go into my top five, I am going to pull from Pulp Fiction. Uh, when the song Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon is playing, and Uma Thurman is dancing to the song in, I guess, her apartment, mm -hmm. and uh, John Travolta's kind of just uh, standing there, kind of watching her, and all of a sudden she takes, I think, cocaine, and she overdoses. Right. Um, and it's this very dramatic scene because, you know, Travolta is now going to, like, he, he realizes the situation he is now in. And the music kind of 
intensifies that situation to a point that really makes you immersed into the film. Um, and of course, Pulp Fiction is one of the greatest films of all time anyway, so why not mention it? Yeah, that's a good choice. Very intense scene. I've only seen Pulp Fiction once, but it still Ooh. is one of my favorite movies of all time. That's oh, how good fantastic. it is, but I do need to revisit that soon. All right. Well, for me, I mean, I can't really say much more about just music in general. Yeah, of course, it's integral to movies in general. Much like uh, training montages, music montages can be some of the best parts in movies. <laughs> and, uh, uh, my number five is might be a little bit of recency bias, but it's actually just a movie from last year, 2016, uh, Sing Street, which is uh, an Irish movie that not a- enough people saw. And the, the song in question is Drive It Like You Stole It. I included it as part of the Redbox Awards this past year. But this, this movie is about this poor Irish kid who has to change schools, so he starts up a band, and he's just trying to get this girl to like him. And really, the whole movie kind of comes to a head here with this scene in a gymnasium when... at the talent show they finally perform in front of other people and in the movie they make it out while they're singing this song that's just great on its own I bought the song on iTunes I've listened to it many times I love it Um, in the scene everyone's loving it it's like uh, the Beatles in his high school gymnasium and it's like almost like a daydream sequence and uh, it's just really well done and it's like one of the best parts of the movie the 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 peak or the uh, Climax, as you would, and uh, if you haven't seen the movie, I would highly recommend it. But I have not seen that movie. I, I am among the uh, too many people that haven't seen it. <laughs> yes, I think it's on Netflix, but I don't know about Netflix Canada, but it's available and it's really good. Yeah, believe it or not, I don't think I've seen the whole movie. Either. Yeah, Casey, have you seen it? I have not. Oh my god, you slackers! Got to get Ow. with it. <laughs> Got to watch it like you viewed it. I don't know. Joel? All right. My number four is another, uh, like, classic. All right. Um, I guess I was going more, like, musical scenes, like, from a musical. That but, works. Um, anyway, singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain. Never seen it. Neither have um, I. I have, actually. It's not bad. Not I bad. have seen this movie a few times. Um, but interesting, I, it's kind of, sorry, I, I've had kind of a headache all day. I can't remember what the movie's called. Is it the same as the Singing in the Rain, man. All right. That's what I, I, I was second guessing myself on that. Um, <laughs> that I is watched awesome. a bunch of times, like with my grandparents and I watched it in school once. Or, not the whole movie, but of course it mattered. <laughs> but uh, this is another one of those scenes that's just, like, so iconic that people kind of know of it without even knowing, like, maybe what it's from or having seen the movie. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think even to this day. I mean, I thought it was definitely like that when we were younger, but... Maybe that's from like watching Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff like that, Looney Tunes, which were all made in like 
the 50s and 60s or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, that's my number four. All right. Edgar? All right, then. So, uh, number four, numero cuatro. Uh, we're going to go. Uh, I'm also I'm sticking old school a little bit like Joel here. Uh, although we'll, we'll get more contemporary as we go along here. Uh, I'm going to f- film noir, uh, an old movie called The Phantom Lady, which is really, really cool. Uh, you know, those old, uh, you know, thrillers that are filmed in smoky black and white, you know, that kind of a movie. And it's a scene in which the heroine, it's a female protagonist, um, she's in love with her boss. Her boss has been accused, wrongfully accused of murder, and he's awaiting his sentence in jail. So she sort of takes it upon herself to investigate the matter. And one of the leads she has is this uh, played by an actor uh, called Elisha Cook Jr., who I don't know if that name means anything to you, but if you look him up, he, he basically made a name of himself. Always, you know, uh, very diminutive, uh, meek little character that shows up for about 10, 15 minutes in a movie. And he's a drummer in this one. And and this heroine, she goes to this club. It's this, well, it's a jazz club, actually. Uh, I guess La La Land really did influence, <laughs> influence me. Yeah. And so, and, and she's, she, but she's a very sweet, you know, she's so in love with this guy. And she's a very nice person, but she sort of dresses her up as like a sexy, uh, sexy uh, seductress for this scene. So it's, she's sort of giving him the eye. And he's like sweating like a like a pig when he sees her, and you know she's sort of giving him the eye like you want to fuck some of this, and 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 he's sort of just rat rat tatting. You you'd almost feel like his dick get hard with each ta- each each tap of the drums, and uh, so it's a it's a very hot scene. It's a very sexy scene. It's a very fast paced scene, and and it's interesting because it's you know it's a very old movie, and sometimes you don't think about the sex appeal of of scenes. They sort of had to work around these things in older movies because of you know the rules and regulations of what you could and could not do on screen, and in this film they do it through the music, through this you know he's sort of like the drum solo in this jazz band, and that's sort of him uh, him getting a little bit of wood as he's playing this uh, jazz solo. So there you go, some sex, some uh, and some and some jazz drums for you, Phantom wow. Lady. All right, I gotta check this movie out. Yeah, well, you made it interesting. <laughs> Oh, it's easy. He's sweating all right. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, we'll be reviewing The Handmaiden on the next episode. But uh, your number four, Casey. Speaking of sweating. <laughs> yeah. uh, for my number four, I took a look at Watchmen. And what did you see? In the very, very beginning, the intro to the movie, I don't know if you guys remember. Mm-hmm. But Vividly. And it is a very, it's very good amazing scene. scene. It's one of, the, in my opinion, one of the best intros of all time to yeah. the film. But you have Bob Dylan's iconic song, uh, "The Times They Are a Changing," playing, which is one one of the greatest songs of all time yeah. in itself. But then attached to this visual masterpiece of these superheroes. Uh, and I'm a gigantic superhero fan, but not Marvel. Piece of crap. Not Marvel. I don't like Marvel at all. But with this film, in this short little three-minute opening, you have all these characters who uh, I I think it's a mixture of standstills and a couple uh, actual motion scenes. But it's, it's it builds up these characters as all oh, their lifelong friends. They're you know the it's world sees them thing. as amazing people, and then as the times they are changing. Slowly, they're starting to die off. Some, I think, one gets taken away into a crazy bin, and 
Um, and you see, you go from this amazing feeling to this really dark, deep place, um, and all within three minutes. Yeah. And this song perfectly uh, encompasses what is visually shown. And it goes straight into that great scene with the comedian. It does, yeah. So, yeah, that is a great choice. Awesome, awesome intro. Good yeah, call. I agree. I love that movie. Great intro. I'm surprised I didn't think of that. Yeah. That's a good, I remember that. It's a pretty good scene. Hey, it's me. <laughs> you did well, you did well. Uh, my number four is from a movie we actually reviewed, me and you, Casey, back in the day, Inside Lewin Davis. Oh, fantastic. Yes, and the song, I, or the scene I picked is when he's singing Hang Me, Oh Hang Me on stage early on, which is essentially like his introduction in the movie. It's like when you finally get, you get to see him in his element. It's a beautiful song, greatly performed, like... You're thinking this guy's a star, and then obviously as the movie goes on, you learn maybe that's not quite so, but just a great way to introduce the character and just an amazing song um, and a great movie overall. Coen it, Brothers can't go I wrong. truly wish I would have thought of Inside Lynn Davis. One, it's easily in the top 150 movies of all time, in my opinion. It's certainly grown um, in my estimation since oh, we yeah, talked it. Oh, yeah, and at first I thought it was going to be one of those movies that's incredible, awesome, and then you'll not remember it within a year. I still remember it to this day. Well, not tonight, obviously. But, um, <laughs> you forgot. But I, I just watched it maybe three weeks ago. Nice. It's just it's so good. So yeah, good. and there's other songs that I could have picked, but this was my favorite of the movie, like the... Uh, the Dear Mr. Kennedy song with Justin Timberlake and Adam Driver is a great scene. The 500 Miles song. Yeah. If you go, if you look at the soundtrack for that uh, that movie, every it's single awesome. song, it's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, it's the only time on here that I did a song from the same movie in the beginning of the episode, in the middle of the episode, and at the end of the episode, just because it was so justified. But Joel, top that with your number three. My number three is my last uh, like actual musical scene, but I think it's a kind of iconic, especially for the non-Canadian. Actually, this is it's Good Morning Baltimore from Hairspray, which the remake was shot in. Well, I think it was shot in Montreal, but Canada nonetheless. Nice. No idea. Um, yeah, it wasn't shot here. I knew that much. We reviewed Hairspray on the podcast, on the film club segment. But this is actually, I mean, even besides the fact that it's like our hometown, this is a pretty watchable, um, enjoyable musical. I mean, it's just kind of quirky and fun for the most part. I, I would agree with you. It is kind of watchable. Uh, as we talked about, I, we're, I don't think any of us are real musical fans. But I, I was able to watch it and enjoy myself. Yeah, it could have been because it is based upon uh, Baltimore. Yeah, it's, but it's a good little indie movie for the time. I mean, it gets to bigger themes too, which I think helps. It's not just a straight up song and dance numbers, you know. But good choice. What about your number three, Mister Shaput? Uh, my number three. So now we're getting a little bit more contemporary. I don't know if you guys have seen. Uh, it's it's a it's a samurai movie from about ten years ago or so called Zatoichi the Blind Swordsman. It's uh, by Katishi Kitano, who's like a sort of a Tom Cruise, I guess. Well, no, 
maybe like uh, the, he's a big actor and director in Japan. And Zentuichi is basically uh, takes place in feudal Japan. He's a blind swordsman. He travels the countryside, um, sort of Clint Eastwood style. He Zentuichi is if if the man with no name had a samurai sword instead of a gun and couldn't see. Um, and so, and it's a violent movie. You know, he kills a bunch of people to save this town. And then at the end of the movie, uh, once Zatoichi has left, uh, the uh, town just uh, breaks out and dance. And <laughs> it's like there's this musical number at the end of the movie. The last three minutes of the film is basically a video clip um, of uh, just the men and women with huge grins on their faces because Zatoichi has saved them. And they're just dancing and it's like this rhythmic Japanese rumba or whatever the hell it's supposed to be. And they're just all happy and gay and dancing, and it lasts about three and a half minutes, and that's how the movie ends. The movie's not a musical. No <laughs> idea why it does that. That's crazy. <laughs> it's like uh, Forty Year Old Virgin when it ends in that. It's nothing like the Forty Year Old Virgin, but it it's a <laughs> movie that had no music musical moments in it until the very end. That sounds pretty. Or cool. or like uh, like uh, oh, what's the thing where the Backstreet Boys show up in heaven? There. Yeah, um, this is the end. This is the end, yeah. Not yeah. a musical, but here comes the Backstreet Boys. Backstreet's back, all right. And so yeah. we're going to end the movie. Just yeah, it's kind of like that. Put smile it's just that it's, face, yeah, it's like uh, this whole, like, 50 people and all this Jap- these Japanese dresses and the white <laughs> face makeup like the woman would put on back then. And, you know, just huge fucking grins and they're just dancing. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. Man, you just ruined my number three with This is the End. Oh, really? No, no. <laughs> no. I was going to uh, say, damn. <laughs> Uh, I decided I didn't pick one scene from this movie, but the Blues Brothers with uh, Dan Aykroyd and yeah. John Belushi. Um, I mean, the whole movie is—I'm not going to say it's one of my most favorite films, but in terms of music, I loved it, and it has such gigantic names such as Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles. Um, mm. And every single scene when they have music, which is most of the film, it was very enjoyable. So just maybe for consistency's sake and star power, I chose the Blue Brothers. <laughs> no, that's a good movie, but you know it's messed up. I heard even though he put music on the soundtrack, Ray Charles didn't see it. Wow. <laughs> wow. Jeez. I'm just Jesus. I heard a Ray Charles joke earlier today. Edgar is so shocked he can't even say it. <laughs> what a jerk off. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> My number three? No, I do like the Blues Brothers quite a bit. My number three, The Lion King. The Circle of Life. The Circle of Life. Kicks it off. Uh, and ends it. It's like the Circle of Life. Get it? Because it's in the beginning as Simba is raised. And then it's at the end when his son is raised. But I, I owned that soundtrack as a kid. And I listened to it over and over and over. One of the best soundtracks of any movie, I feel like. And um, that's just the most iconic song of the of the soundtrack in my opinion other than Akuta Matata which is like the kitty song that no one really likes anymore but yeah. uh, Circle Life is where it's at Joel? Very good pick very good pick Apologize. Um, so my number two is not exactly well anyway it is was, uh, stuck in the middle with you in Reservoir Dogs. Sorry. Oh yeah, that's. I had um, Pulp Fiction on the mind from earlier. 
Yeah. But yeah, awesome. this scene is awesome, I think. It is. It's kind of like vicious and nefarious, but this song's playing and he's dancing while he's... What does he do? He cuts the guy's ear off? Uh, I, won't get, I think he starts it. putting petro, but not petroleum, but uh, gasoline on him. And... Yeah, he's basically torturing him because... You know, if you haven't seen the movie, I don't really want to give it away. It's it's one of those movies that the first time you see it is the best. It's a Tarantino film, so, you know, the out order and all that stuff. But, God, I love this scene. It's like one of those scenes I can watch on, like, YouTube. Hell yeah. Like, all it's the really, time. I find it very funny, too, because Michael Madsen's sort of doing that shitty little dance as he's torturing the poor police I find that really funny yeah yeah I definitely I love this movie in general but this is my favorite scene for sure great great choice your number two Edgar my number two comes from guess what the Lion King but oh no it's it's it's, it's not the most the two most iconic songs uh, it's not a Circle of Life or Akuna Matata my favorite number is actually, uh, and I just can't wait to begin. Love it. Uh, I love that sequence. <laughs> I actually rewatched it on YouTube the other day, and it's so colorful. Like the style completely yep. changes when they start singing that. It sort of becomes many, much more like primary colors and yeah. almost like geometrical at times. I thought it was it's awesome. Very kaleidoscopy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, what is it, JTT? I uh, was given the voice in that, yep. and uh, just what a wonderful little singer he was. And uh, I don't know, it, it, it's funny, it, it rhymes, it speaks a lot to, you know, what that character is like just before tragedy befalls him. And and the animation's spectacular. And it's just a damn catchy song. I, it was my favorite song back in the day, and I clearly it's still my favorite song from that movie to this day. Although, you know, Circle of Life is, is pretty awesome, too. Yeah, that that was my second favorite song of that soundtrack. That is that is underrated. I love that one. Casey? Um, well, let's go a little bit darker than your Disney picks. Oh, I thought you were going to uh, go a different way, but let's hear uh, With uh, Requiem for a Dream, Ooh. when uh, Lux, at, I think it's Lux Eterna is how you pronounce the song. Um, kind of the, you know, the... Uh, Propulsive score that gets used everywhere because it's so damn good. Yeah. Um, but when it comes like full throttle in this film and you see these characters going deeper and deeper into the dark well of their lives. Ass to ass. Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it is one of the most most powerful moments in, I guess you would say, music uh, cinema blend history. It's just fantastic. One of the greatest scores of yeah, all time. Easily. Um, and coupled with the dark visuals. Uh, and you can't get much better. Except for my number one pick, which <laughs> you guys will hear later on. <laughs> Woof, you just changed the tone in here. I thought music was supposed to be fun and uplifting. What's going on? <laughs> no, my, actually, my number two is not quite as dark as yours, but kind of in a similar vein. It's from Fight Club. It's the Pixie song, Where Is My Mind, at the end. After he's blowing up all the buildings around him, and it just that iconic song is playing in the background as the credits cut. Uh, and this song has been used 
many times afterwards. I think this is like the first one to really use it effectively. But the song is so good on its own, like it can work pretty much under behind any scene, I think. And it's almost been overused at this point. Uh, the Leftovers used it a few times in season two to great success, but just an iconic scene in my mind when Ed Norton is just standing in a building and watching buildings fall around around him, and that song is blaring in the background. Very cool. Yep. Number ones, best music uh, scenes of all time. All right. So this movie, there's really two really good musical scenes or whatever you want to call them but my pick I'm going to pick one over the other it's Apocalypse Now and it's The Ride of the Valkyries ah, yeah. beautiful wow that's a good one but um, also there is uh, the whole this is the end um, more towards the end I believe Backstreet Back alright with um <laughs> Uh, like when they get to the Marlon Brando portion of the movie. Oh. <laughs> Backstreet Boys, Marlon Brando, kind of the same thing, right? When the Backstreet Boys show up, they're in the dark there. You can't see them, but you can hear them. <laughs> they're in it. Though. He said this is the end. <laughs> Sorry, I was single-minded in my train of thought. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, yeah. But I don't know. I don't think there are many more iconic scenes at this point than there's helicopters coming oh, yeah. over the sunset. There's like 10 feet above the water with the sun. The sun. flight of the Valkyrie, or ride of the Valkyries playing. Just ask Kong Skull Island, right? <laughs> I haven't seen yeah. it. Me but, either, but. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even ask Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. The last two, really, because uh, Force Awakens sort of had some imagery that was similar, but definitely um, Rogue One. Yeah, that's a good call. Edgar? Uh, well, my number one is... Uh, we're going full circle. My number five was, ironically, rhythmic, rhythmic music where an assassination attempt was going on. And my number one is sort of like that, too. I'm going, I'm going to defer to the master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock, a film called The Man Who Knew Too Much, which he directed twice in black and white and then remade himself... I'm going with the remake because, you know, it has Jimmy Stewart and Doris Day, and it's in color. It's a lot of fun. Near the end of the movie, uh, James Stewart and Doris Day are basically just your average Joe Joe and and Jane American couple, but they get get mixed up in this assassination attempt in Europe, and the climax is basically at a huge concert hall where there's uh, this musical piece called Storm Clouds Cantata, uh, it's a it's German, you know, strong German chorus. It's very loud, and and as one player at a particular point in the musical number is going to crash the the cymbals. What are those big round metallic things? Like, he's going to crash those two yeah. things. There will be an assassination assassination attempt on a diplomat, and it's about a three four minute sequence where literally the only thing on the soundtrack is the music of this chorus. Even when characters are speaking, you can't hear them. Their audio is cut out. So it's really just the music carrying uh, the rhythm of, of this sequence as, as, as the couple are trying to um, avoid this assassination from happening. Alfred Hitchcock can't go wrong. It's great music, looks great. Uh, it's a su- suspenseful. 
And uh, yeah, it's my number one. Awesome. Sounds really good. I yeah. have to admit, I haven't seen it. I have a. I really want to catch up on more of his movies because the ones I've seen have all been lived uh, up to the hype. He's, he's, he was so good, man. He was so good. Because, you know, back in his time, though, supposedly he was kind of like a Michael Bay um, at, like, d- during his, like, what yeah. we would consider his peak now. Uh, back then, people didn't see him as this uh, genius that we now see. Well, the fact of the matter is he's, none of his movies were ever nominated for, uh, he never got Best Director. His movies were never nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, he was he was a blockbuster. What, what, would, what would he be like today? Who's... Michael um, Bay might be pushing it a little too far, Casey. Well, yeah, maybe not Michael Bay, but he's. Who are our grandkids going to be doing a podcast about in fifty years and saying, you know, I can't believe? Yeah, I was almost going to say David Fincher, but he has been nominated for a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's pretty well renowned. What about um, <laughs> Doug Liman? Yeah, yeah, like a really, really good director. Edge of Tomorrow. Mission, the yeah, first Mission Impossible, but, right? No, first Bourne movie. Yeah, yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Like a really, really good director that's always putting in solid work, and yet he sort of just gets tossed under the rug. But who knows what we'll be saying in thirty years from now? Yeah, I might have just called it. Called dibs, right? Yeah. <laughs> Casey, you what's your number one? My number one is. Uh, from the Big Lebowski, um, the just dropped in scene where uh, he is knocked out by what's his name, uh, Johnny Treehorn, I think, or something close to that name. I don't know. The uh, movie he's well he's basically roofied, and uh, he he kind of goes into a dream state. And there are amazing visuals, incredible visuals. Uh, if you like the film, this is one of the most iconic scenes from it. Um, just he's dreaming of the bowling. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then the bowling pins become uh, supple uh, <laughs> woman parts. You would say. Um, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's that scene. It's incredible. I love it. And the Big Lebowski is one of my overrated. Movies. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's why I left the podcast. Okay, let's, let's clear the. Air. I want us to clear the air, everybody. What's your favorite Cohen's brother? Because mine is the Big Lebowski. I'll oh. confess. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, mine too. Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Um, Maybe I can understand Fargo. I mean, if you're... Fargo. It's Fargo. If you don't like the Big Lebowski, you have to go to Fargo. It's Fargo, No Country for Old Men, then maybe Inside Lone Davis. Top three. Okay. Yeah. That's about that. But my number one musical scene of all time is... From director John Carney, who directed Sing Street. This was his directorial debut in 2007. I mentioned it earlier. It's Once as a non-musical musical, where it's just a guy who is a folksy indie musician, acoustic guy who falls in love, meets this girl, falls in love. She's a piano player, and they start to work together and form a band in a musical companionship. And some of it's an again one of the best soundtracks of all time. It's great, um, great music. Especially "Falling Slowly" is my my choice for the actual song. And uh, there's a scene where they're just sitting in a guitar store or a music store. He sits down at, or she sits down at the piano. Just starts playing around. He has got the guitar, and it just naturally builds into. They just 
write this song right then and there in the store, and it's it's amazing. But uh, Glenn Hansard plays the main character, and he's actually lead singer of The Frames, which is like this big Irish rock and roll band, and great choice to uh, play this character. It's a great movie, great song. Yeah, it was great. a fantastic film, um, and and the score for that is it's incredible. I actually saw them live uh, in concert in like a uh, orchestra hall with the great acoustics. It was an awesome, awesome experience. If you like folk music, you would love love their songs. Mm-hmm. Any honorable mentions? Uh, I have two. Uh, one, or actually both of them, I didn't think would count. Um, okay, what's one, this? The Last Waltz uh, is oh, the greatest the music documentary of all time. Um, Scorsese directed it. It is. It, it basically um, just shows the last concert for the band, which is... What band? <laughs> yeah, the band. Who's uh, <laughs> on first? Um, in, my, in my opinion, one of the, the, the best uh, classic rock bands. Um, and just the visuals are fantastic. Uh, Scorsese does a great, great job. Even in a documentary. Even in a documentary, exactly. But the music, the songs are just so good. So good. And then uh, recently, the other honorable mention, I would say, is actually from a trailer uh, oh. for Logan. I just thought <laughs> it was insanely oh, yeah. good with Johnny Cash singing Hurt. Great. Uh, the, great first, the first trailer. Oh, my gosh. I That got me more pumped for Logan than humanly possible. <laughs> I mean, it absolutely does not count because how many trailers... Use music effectively to sell you on a movie. True, you know Prometheus. But it was great. Prometheus. Yeah. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Any honorable mentions? Oh, there, there, there's a top five for you guys. Top five trailers. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Not bad. See, that's why we have you on. We need you as a producer to come up with these ideas. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Any honorable mentions by you, Edgar or Joel? Um, the beginning of 2001: Space Odyssey. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, that's basically all I had. I, I maybe that could have been on my list, but I, I thought that might have been pushing it or something. Hey, but, I like yeah, that. too pretentious. Yeah, you're so pretentious, man. Yeah. <laughs> Edgar, any honorable mentions? Uh, I have a, a few. Actually, Right of the Valkyries is is in my honorable mentions. So great minds think alike. There, uh, I have a. Be Our Guest from uh, Beauty and the Beast. And uh, I actually, uh, <laughs> honorable mention, though, there's probably no chance it was actually landing on our top five, but I love this scene so much, is uh, the uh, jazz flute scene in Ackerman. <laughs> Absolutely. That's brilliant. A L- little bit of bacon and eggs for you. Jazz <laughs> flute. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, and I was actually trying to provoke Casey by saying Hakuta Matata was the childish pick that no one should take from Lion King because I thought he was going to take it and he never mentioned it. I did not. I decided to go away from uh, Disney films. I got you. I got you. Well, I got a few honorable mentions real quick. That Thing You Do, the titular song, very catchy with Tom Hanks. I'm not going to sing it, but you, you know it. I'll, maybe I'll, I'll use that as the outro song. Um, Eight Mile. The uh, Eminem song that he wrote specifically for that movie, Mom Spaghetti, great moment. Um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit has a couple good songs. Jessica Rabbit's like slow, seductive uh, song and dance thing that she does. We're starting to learn more about Bob every day. <laughs> huh. 
And uh, Eddie Valiant's funny song to save Roger Rabbit's life at the end. An American Tale, the uh, another animated movie. I uh, can't remember the song now off the top of my head, but the song that the the sister sings, it's real sad and good. Uh, <laughs> the Graduate, Here's to You, Mrs. Robinson, pretty good. And Wayne's World, Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yes, <laughs> on that note, if that's a note, let's move on to what else we watched this week. Let's go um, guest first. Edgar, have you watched anything recently? Uh, I did. I've actually been to the cinema a few times over the past few weeks. I saw a movie that opened last week called Free Fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's from Ben Wheatley, who's uh, renowned for what? Kill List, uh, High Rise, or whatever that movie's called. Uh, so this is, um, as, a, as a solid cast, uh, Chartel Copley, uh, Brie Larson, Army Hammer, a bunch of people are in this, and it's basically... It's really simple. It takes place, it seems to be taking place in the 70s, although they never say it is, but judging how they're, <laughs> everybody's dressed, you'd think so. It takes place at, at night. It's barely an hour and a half long, and it's a an arms deal that goes wrong, obviously. What else is going to happen? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, things go crazy. They're in an, in, in an abandoned uh, building, a little bit decrepit. And it's funny. It's very dark humor. It's it's not it's not cute. That's for sure. It's a pretty violent movie. Pretty vulgar movie. But I thought it was pretty funny. And everybody's uh, everybody's seems to be enjoying themselves. And um, it's got a pretty good pace to it. But uh, I don't think this thing's making any money. I mean, I saw yeah. it on a whim because I had a little bit of time on my hands, and there were like ten people in the room. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it was pretty pretty decent. It'll be on Netflix like in a week and a half, probably. <laughs> yeah. So, did you ever see Kill List? I did, I did. did Sometime ago, I liked it. I liked it. I know a lot of people cite that one as so vastly superior to everything else he's done. I don't, I don't know if I completely agree with that, but I, I like Kill List. Yeah, we're. I think me and Casey are one of those. Yeah, for me, it's in my probably top one hundred of all time. One of the best horror movies ever. Oh yeah, yeah. And, Especially uh, the the third act. Wow. Yeah. Here yeah, the third act is the strongest. Uh, I anyways. Yeah, I don't know. He's just earned a lifetime pass for me. I'll see any movie he makes just because of Kill List, just I to would see agree. if he could live up to it. But so I'm definitely going to check out Free Fire when it hits Netflix next week. Yeah. Uh, Joel, have you watched anything? Uh, yeah. I watched a Wes Anderson film that I haven't seen yet. All right, which one? Um, uh, forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, but the Darjeeling Limited? That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, admittedly, watching this, I not so much from the movie, but I just had other stuff going on. Probably the last quarter, maybe even less than the last quarter of the film, I, I kind of lost interest or just whatever I just started doing something else so I may rewatch it but so far I think this is probably my least favorite Wes Anderson film I've seen it's, not saying it's bad but I, I love his movies so I, I kind of like how Wes Anderson kind of divides viewers either you love him or you hate him um, and most of his films are they're, they're so similar, except not in story. In story, they are so separate, yet visually. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, even the same actors and stuff. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much in all those films. Yeah. And I, for me, I love him. Love him. Uh, and Budapest Hotel, for some reason, a lot of people don't seem to think it's that great. It's pretty good. I love it. I love, I love it. it. Um, I've seen it like 25 times. Now, I know you, Bob, love uh, Fantastic, Fantastic Mr. Mr. Fox, which was my least favorite of his films. It's absurd. Um, and so I do want to rewatch it uh, because I think that was my first film of his that I watched uh, at the time. Yeah. And then I just started watching all of them and love them, except Fantastic yeah, Mr. Fox. I, so. you, I thought you were going to say something about Darjeeling Limited, but uh, that's probably my least favorite of his as well. And I, I don't. there's plenty of his movies that I don't particularly care for, but that one just bored me to sleep. Yeah, I gotta say, like, I saw the Royal Tenenbaums years and years ago, before I really even knew who he was or anything like that, and I really, really, I don't know if I thought it was a bad movie, but it made me almost, like, uncomfortable to watch. He's an acquired taste, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I really didn't like it, but I have watched at least a good portion of it since, and I definitely liked it a lot more that I could appreciate yeah. His type of filmmaking. Because I think there's a lot of melancholy underneath of everything in all of his movies. And I think I like really got that vibe with the Royal Tenenbaums. And I don't know, maybe you just didn't jive with me at the time. I've tried to watch the Royal Tenenbaums like three times thinking like I just didn't get it the last time. And then I just still never liked it. To be honest, I did the same thing on the fourth try, you're gonna love it. Alright. <laughs> I'll give it another try. <laughs> Uh, Casey, you got anything? Yeah, I, I watched two movies uh, kind of late uh, to the show, but I watched Rogue One. Uh, okay. On opening night, I went, I stayed in line three hours, <laughs> got inside and fell right to sleep within the first two minutes. You vadered. Um, Jesus and I did I woke up, <laughs> it was terrible. Uh, Dropped lid. When I woke up, uh, at the very last scene, when uh, one of the, it's the greatest scene in the film, and so I w- wake up to that and I think, oh my gosh, this movie must be the greatest of all time based upon the scene. Um, yet I hadn't watched it until two days ago, um, officially. So I watched it. I love it. It's very good. Um, there's definitely some weak points, but I love the direction that these new Star Wars films are going in. I love the look of them, and that's the most important part now. The story, um, I don't think the stories are ever going to be as incredible as we remember the original trilogy being, even though if you really look back, they might not be the greatest stories. It's just the universe and the world building that is the most amazing part. Um, And Lucas has given us a universe that will forever be in our hearts. So... Uh, Rogue One was a great film, in my Second, opinion. First hour is good, but a little slow. Second half, brilliant. Pure action cinema at its finest. That's my quick review. Uh, I could agree. And then, Manchester by the Sea. I know you guys talked about it. Uh, episode 196, check it out. It was a good episode. And I think... Uh, I, Joel, what, what did you think of it? Manchester by the Sea? Yeah. I thought it was fantastic, but I don't know... How long it's going to be before I can ever rewatch so that then, movie? So then, I will say all three of you are completely wrong. Uh, <laughs> you guys don't have a good sense of movie making at all. Uh, this film was basically them throwing a whole bunch of sad crap at the wall to see what stuck. Um, 
I, I love sad films. Love them. Uh, I love if a film can make me cry. This film didn't make me cry even cried slightly times. because I saw right through the crap. I saw what they were trying to do, which was just try to evoke emotion without being authentic. Um, and there's some great parts to it. Absolutely, the acting, fantastic. Uh, the editing, ah, oh, the editing was incredible. Um, the flashbacks and so forth. The score. Uh, the score was god-awful. Uh, worse than La La Land, in my opinion. Um, and the story was very weak. Uh, there was a... It, it just wasn't... It was not well-written, in my opinion, in terms of plot. Um, you guys are just so wrong about it. Well, I'm glad we didn't bring you back for that one. But. Um, your, your reviews filled up crap. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time. I, I stand by everything I said in that episode. Go listen to it to get my. You thoughts. will not even remember this movie in three months. Guaranteed. Uh, agree to disagree, but uh, we'll to see. each their own. To each their own. I'll, I'll mention Casey Affleck and see what. What one of the best films he did was, and you will definitely not say. Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. I would be gone. Possibly. <laughs> I was going to say, by God, baby, gone. Uh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> definitely not Manchester by the Sea. Yes, it is. But we appreciate your input. <laughs> but I don't know. Three on one. And how's it feel now? Shoes on another foot. I was the only one that likes La La Land. Uh, I mean. You guys just don't have taste. There's nothing I can say about that. It's always a sound argument. I, maybe I should start coming on here more regularly to Your educate you guys. Your opinion does not matter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Always a sound yeah. argument. When yeah. he just insults we, we, we can cut this segment out. It's a, we can cut this out, right, Bob? We oh, yeah. This I edit these shows very thoroughly. Okay. No. This is just how Americans talk. We, we, we don't want to lose listeners here. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I don't know how I'm going to get past that, but... I'll talk about a couple things I watched. Um, the newest thing I watched was The Boss Baby, the one of the newest animated movies in theaters. Uh, this stars Alec Baldwin as a infant who arrives in... Uh, there's a guy who's narrated by Tobey Maguire, voiced by some kid who's like a preteen boy, probably like six or seven, is loving life, just gets along with his family... And his parents have a baby. He has a baby brother, and he comes in, and he, he turns out he can talk. He's the boss, baby, and uh, he's wheeling and dealing, and I don't know. They don't like each other. Turns out it's – well, it doesn't turn out. It's pretty, pretty early on, and it's obvious that it, it's only in the kid's head. He's the active imagination, so he's picturing the kid as – talking and he's got to find a way to get rid of him and then they eventually have to work together and blah 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 blah. It's a very mediocre animated movie. Uh, first half an hour was when it was at its cleverest and that is everything that was in the trailers. So watch the trailer and you got the gist. I'll give it a five and a half out of ten. Uh, I'll watch the movie Tower, the documentary that's on Netflix, Tower. Uh, this is a very interesting movie. It's a documentary about the 1969, I think, um, University of Texas mass shooting where a sniper hiked himself up into this tower and started just sniping people 
left and right. I think he ended up shooting like 27 or so people, killing... Ooh, 23, I think. 23. I think that's what... Something like that, yeah. And But the movie is told in a unique perspective where it's like lots of Bashir-type animation um, mixed with archival footage. If you've seen Walt's Bashir, it's it's kind of like cell shaded and different yeah. in a way, but uh, and it it has interviews with survivors, but it's like they're animated to look like the way they looked at the time of the shooting, and then eventually it kind of slowly the animation goes away and you see how they are today and crazy story. Um, That's a weird way to do it. I haven't seen this movie. Is it, does that feel like artifice, or does it actually serve a purpose? That's, that's a weird strategy for is. such a dour subject. Well, what's, I don't how does know. that come across as? It is weird, and at first it's a little off-putting, but in a, in a weird way, it kind of worked. Um, I actually kind of wish they would have kept that aesthetic longer than they did. Um, hmm. It just brings... It like puts you back in that time and place, even though it's not realistic. For whatever reason, it works. I don't know if I can necessarily put my finger on why, but mm, okay. um, it is interesting. I'd say it's worth a look. Crazy story, which I actually hadn't heard of. Um, really? Yeah, I had not heard of this. Um, I actually went to that clock tower. Oh, I went really? to Texas and went to the clock tower. Yeah. Pretty crazy stuff. I mean, and some great, like not great, but I mean... Great acts of heroism and survival and acts of kindness and people working together. And, yeah, it's a really, really good documentary. I definitely recommend checking it out if you're into that kind of thing. It's uh, give it a strong 8 out of 10. Yeah, I'd be very interested to hear what you guys think if you do see it. Cause, you said it's on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It was uh, intriguing, to say the least. Uh, the last movie I watched, I have some TV, but I want to get back to Edgar, see what else he watched in theaters. But the last movie I watched was also on Netflix, 1927's two-and-a-half-hour silent movie, first science fiction film of all time, I believe, Metropolis. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Uh, yeah, what did you think? Uh, it's been a few years, but I was... I was pretty darn impressed with it. It's one of those movies where you keep hearing about it, you know, especially if you want to, you know, school yourself in a little bit of film history. You keep hearing about it. It's so iconic. It's so amazing. And it almost becomes intimidating. Uh, but this is one of those examples where uh, the intimidation just was washed away within minutes. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was amazing. Yeah, yeah I... I didn't think it was amazing, but it definitely holds up incredibly well for a movie that was made 90 years ago, or released 90 yeah. years ago. I mean, directed by Fritz Lang, I think it was. and Yeah. yeah it was for, the biggest budget at the time, right? I think so. I'm not sure. Uh, on the it's huge. I mean, Metropolis is like, it's like, uh, you know, if they made that today, it'd be like a $195 million movie. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, that's how big it is, but it's from like the 1920s. You know, it's, right. it's pretty impressive stuff. It's reminded me a little bit of my experience with seven samurai, which is a movie I liked better, but it just that a black and white silent movie, two and a half hours long. But I mean, it did not feel that long. It was not a difficult watch at all. It's very watchable. Uh, very interesting story. I liked the, uh, practical effects or the like, the miniatures that they use to um, to get the scale across and um, 
Yeah, I think the score, like we mentioned before, the silent movie score is important. The score is very, very good, if not great here. And especially loved the final act. Like, the, the climax of the movie really worked, came together. Uh, there's a... a it, the story is, like, a little complicated, but there's this guy who his father um, runs this metropolis of these machines that they use to work, blah, 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 and he falls in love with this girl, she gets captured and replaced by a robot version of herself, and eventually they figure it out, they overthrow him, and there's a scene at the end where the girl is, like, put to a stake and lit on fire, and, like, her skin melts off to reveal the robotic underneath, and really well done, especially for 1927. Yeah. There's an anime of the same name that I still haven't quite gotten around to watch, but I don't think it's literally the same story, but aesthetically and visually it's similar and oh, based cool. off of that. Yeah. There's also a, a colored version with a completely different soundtrack, I think from the 70s or 80s. I haven't watched that one. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I don't like to really rate a movie this old because I don't think it's necessarily do it justice, but a uh, solid 8 out of 10. Which is pretty darn good for ninety year old sound movie in my books. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean for something for that you know. week old movie. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um Edgar, you had mentioned you'd saw something else in theaters? Uh I did. I did, you know <laughs> I did go see Fast Eight or whatever the hell oh it's called. Uh, the Fate of the Furious. Fate yes. of the Furious. Are you a fan and, of the franchise? Um it's hit or miss. I like the ones I think some of them are good. I think other ones are are pretty terrible. Uh, I didn't really like the last one, uh, which is sort of the one everybody seemed to love. Uh, uh, one of the worst movies ever made. Well, I've seen one of the worst movies ever made. But I <laughs> one of the worst movies ever made. Okay, one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> You've made your point. And uh, I like this one more. Uh, it's it's funny how this franchise has morphed into something that's so removed from those first couple installments, or at least the first installment, I guess, which is really just a, a heist film on wheels. And now it's it's basically become James Bond on wheels. Uh, so it's it's crazy, it's kooky, there's probably a little bit too much CGI for my liking. I'm figuring, I always, I watch these movies, I'm like, you guys have like 150 million bucks or whatever, and you must be able to hire some stunt drivers. Like, why are you CGI in some of this stuff? But there is still a lot of practical stunt work going on. And uh, I liked it more than the last one. Uh, it, I don't remember much of it. And I think I only saw it last week. Uh, but, uh, no, that's how I roll, man. I, I live my life for a quarter mile at, at a time. Uh, so that's, you know, I do what I do. I, I, stay. I mean, uh, um Fate of the Furious. Uh, you don't you have go. friends. You got friends, family. Yeah, no, I got family, sure. <laughs> and but, but that's good. I mean, that's what's important about this franchise. It's it's important to harp on that point on every <laughs> installment, just in case we forget it. But uh, there's there's there there are a couple. They you know they they throw us a couple of softballs in this one. It is in case you didn't get it. It's about family. Yeah, absolutely. What would you give it out of ten? Um, 
fast five, six, a serious six, six. Six, six and a half. No, it's passable. It's six, six and a half. Uh, the previous one, I'd give like a four or five. This one, I'd give like a six and a half, something like that. Yeah. I didn't I didn't leave the room thinking, oh, my God, why did I waste my money? I was like, okay, that was kind of fun. How's uh, Charlize Theron? She's fun. She's fun. Uh, well, it's Charlize Theron. I mean, she sort of has to try to give a bad performance. I mean, she she's basically playing. You know, she's she's the vixen. She's the villainess. She's the temptress. You know, she's you know tongue in cheek, playing it to the hilt. You know, so to speak. But it's Charlize Theron, so she can do that, and it still comes across as 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 fun. But no, she's she's a, she's an icy bitch. She's a cold bitch, and she does it well. Nice, nice. Um, Casey, you got anything else? Uh, some TV. Yeah, let's talk say. about TV. Um, uh, fourth season of Rectify uh, <laughs> is on Netflix, and Rectify is from the Sundance Channel. If you kind of like an artsy show, this is the best show for you. I watched the um, first episode. It's a very quiet, very slow show, but I, I know I've heard nothing but great things about it. I just uh, haven't had time to really dig in. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I feel like when you first start watching it, there is going to be that kind of like, okay, this is a little too slow, but it's worth it. It's always worth it. You give it five minutes, you will become invested in each episode, and you will not want to turn the TV off. Super interesting story about a guy who has been in jail, maybe rightfully or wrongly accused. You don't really find out right away, at least, and him getting out of jail and kind of reacting to the world, right? Yeah, he was in jail for 17 years, but not just in jail, but in solitary confinement, oh, where he was not allowed to see, touch... Or uh, really talk to other people, and uh, it has altered his reality. Yeah. So, like I said, interesting premise. How season four? Season four is fantastic, just like the other three seasons. This is one of the most consistent shows I've watched. Uh, and I'm not going to say it's the greatest show, but every single season has delivered exactly what I wanted. Nice. Yeah, I still there's so many shows I need to check out. I keep saying anytime someone brings up something that I haven't seen, I'm like, yeah, I want to check that out. But realistically, will I? I don't know. There's too many good ones out there. What I did check out was season three premiere of Fargo. Speaking of Fargo, the TV show. Um, has anyone seen the first two seasons? Nope. I have not. Oh, man, you guys are missing out. I've heard good things about it, yeah, it's really well done. Made by the same guy who made Legion that just finished airing a couple weeks ago. And um, season it, each season, it's like a True Detective or American Horror Story, where each season might keep some of the same cast members, but it's a completely different story. And I think the first season had Billy Bob Thornton as the main villain. He was almost like an Anton Chigurh type character. That was great. And then season two went back to the seventies and. Uh, had Gene Smart and uh, Kirsten Dunst and was maybe even better than the first season. Season 3 premiered this past week. It's got Carrie Coon as a police officer. It's got Ewan McGregor playing twin brothers. He's playing two roles at once. <laughs> One's like a trashy, uh, I don't know, like uh, the criminal looking guy, like a long hair, balding mustache. And the other guy's like this rich successful guy with short hair and no facial hair whatever does he do as well as Nicolas Cage in adaptation no 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 he does okay but he also has Mary Elizabeth Winstead in there as the schlubby brother's like girlfriend or 
mistress type character, and she's great. Um, and then the main story here is the two brothers are at odds. The not successful one wants what is rightfully his from the successful one, and then there's a, a third party that gets involved. An incident happens that's gonna seems to be like it's spurring on the plot of the season, and uh, just as good as you would expect it's off to a great start i don't want to give anything away because there's a moment in the first episode that's just like a holy shit here we go strap your seatbelt in let's do it but uh yeah you don't need to have seen the first two seasons to enjoy the third but i would recommend you catch up anyway the the seasons are independent of one another right correct i mean i'd still start with season one but just okay yeah it's completely i mean they might have like easter eggs or like small nods to the earlier seasons, but it's pretty much all standalone. So what, what would be your preference for all three of you? Would you rather have a television television show where each season is independent of one another or have a continuous story? Um, I, I think it really just depends on what the story being told is. I, I don't um, know. I've liked both. Um, I yeah. do like that small, compact story where you get in, you tell the story you want to tell, you can, like, don't have to worry about keeping characters alive just for a future season, so you can go all out, you know, and just tell the story you want to tell. But at the same time, I do enjoy serialized uh, television shows as well, so, yeah, I don't know. That's a really tough call. If I had to choose, I'd say serialized just because maybe I can enjoy it longer. Okay. I guess I think I like the continuous story a little bit more. You get to spend as much time as you can. You know, again, we're assuming that you know, our in our variables here, the writers are consistently good, and yeah. the cast is consistently good, and the direction is consistently good. I probably would go for the for the continued storyline. You know, if I really like these characters and I enjoy spending time with them. I want to see what journey they're going to go on. Uh, I'd probably go with that. Although I have nothing against, you know, seasons that are independent of one another. But. I will say this, though. The the whole seasons being independent of each other, are it's kind of refreshing these days because in the vein of Game of Thrones and really going back to, like, The Wires, The Sopranos or something like that, it seems like everyone has to have this extended lore and they... I don't know. I feel like a lot of shows don't really plan it well enough to carry themselves for five seasons or something like that. So I do think the the individual season story is refreshing, but I, I agree. Serialized is probably what I do. That's actually a great point. And, and although, uh, of course, mind you, this caveat, this is coming from someone that doesn't watch much TV, but from what TV I've watched... I've always felt that um, the British do it a little bit better insofar as um, they don't—they don't try to squeeze as much juice as they can out of the sponge. It's, here are six episodes, and this is the story. Whereas over here, we sort of go, like, "Well, here's 25 episodes for the first season. What are we going to do next year? We need another 25 episodes." You know, they both have their strengths. They both might have their weaknesses, but I, I find the way they do it in the UK seems a little bit more calculated. You know, if it's successful, 
they'll come back with another one. Might not even be next year. You might wait two years for the yeah. next season if it's successful. Whereas here, we do sort of force the issue a little bit. And that's where maybe you get these stories about, man, those first couple of seasons are so good, but what the hell are they doing this year? Why is the show crap all of a sudden? Well, it's because they've already written like 80 right. episodes, man. What yeah. else do you want them to do? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you see a lot here, like when I shoot premieres and it gets good ratings, they'll sign it for the following season. Yeah, right nothing's after. been written. Like nothing's uh, been written. What was that show on HBO? Vinyl. Yeah. It was like the biggest watch show on HBO or premiere or something like that, and it just fell off a cliff. Yeah. That show had so much promise and failed miserably. But I think I agree with you guys. Like I I do I like the less filler the better. I like eight episode seasons, ten episode seasons, get in, get out. But I do like when they mix it. I like mixing it up every once in a while. You know, a little bit of both. A little column A, a little column B. What about yourself, Casey? You asked the question, what's your answer? Um, well, I would have to agree with Edgar in the sense, uh, over in England, uh, because it is so compact, they have three, four, six, seven, eight episodes, such as like Sherlock. I think it's three episodes a season. Uh, they have such a high quality in their TV right. shows. They got a hit or else half their season's terrible. But, as he said, there's two to three to four year gaps sometimes in between each season. Yeah. Um, and I'm 100%. I want a continuous story. I do not like shows. You don't like it at, at all? all that Ever? have uh, single season arcs. Um, I, it's almost like a bibliophobia where you are reading some kind of book and you become so attached to those characters and that story that you fear that it's about to run out. Um, and especially with, like, say, Harry Potter, you know that there's seven books. And once you get to that seventh book, you feel that tension inside of you going, oh, wow, I will never see Harry Potter again. Now, I've never read Harry Potter, so I don't know much about that. But there are certain books that I've felt that with. And with TV shows, I don't know what the word would be, but I feel that loss of, wow, um, Breaking Bad, it's over. Lost. Lost was another one. I mean, Lost was one of the only shows I watched every episode, every single week, exactly the day it aired. With other shows, you'll miss a week and catch up to it. a season at a time, even. Exactly. Lost, I made sure I watched it consistently every single day that it came out. Uh, And the last episode, I cried, not because of the show, uh, in terms of the plot. It's over. It's over. I mean, I lost Jack. I lost... Um, Jill, I mean, I, I lost the entire cast that day. Yeah, so. I kind of agree. In TV, for me, it's all about characters. Not in every case, but movies, it's more about story, maybe plot a little bit. But I like characters in movies too. But in TV, I mean, you're spending episode upon episode, hour upon hour with these characters. So, and you can have more character development in a TV show. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting thought experiment there. I also finished up Feud, the first season of Feud, which is eight episodes on FX. This was the the uh, another Ryan Murphy series who did American Horror Story, American Crime Story. This time, it, each season is apparently going to focus on a very famous feud between two people, and this one was Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford played by uh, Jessica Lange, and Betty Davis played by Susan Sarandon. You also got Stanley Tucci, um, the guy who played Dr. Octopus, Alfred Molina, 
a great cast of characters playing old classic Hollywood and these two classic older actresses as they tried to cling to relevancy and their hatred for each other. One had all the looks, not much acting skills. The other one had all the talent in the world, but wasn't much of a looker, and they were both jealous of each other their whole careers. Um, it's a good series. I, again, I like that it. it's eight episodes, tells its story, gets out. I didn't think it was amazing, but it was really well made, really well acted, told a story that I probably should have known by now. I didn't know much about the this feud between Crawford and Davis, and I was glad to uh, get to get to know it. So, really well done. If you're into that kind of thing, you'll probably enjoy it. Joel, anything else? Uh, that's all I got to. All right, Edgar, before I uh, close it No, out. I think, uh, no, let's get on to the main event, yes. I think. Uh, let's get to the 2017 summer box office draft. Let's get this party started. But before we do, while we reveal the draft order, let's go over, summarize these beautiful results from last year. In fourth place, hate to do this to you, Joel, but you came in last with $111 million, approximately. You had the, <laughs> yeah, You had The Nice Guys, which was a movie I absolutely loved, but didn't exactly bring in the bacon for you. You had X-Men Apocalypse, one of the most disappointing X-Men movies to date. Warcraft, great in China. Oh, God. <laughs> Not much else. Had a... <laughs> Very low Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, Independence Day Resurgence, which I Oof. thought had a chance to be the next Jurassic World, but surely I was wrong. And War Dogs, which I just don't get, but <laughs> <laughs> it happened. I remember why I picked that. is because they were advertising the shit out of it around the time we did the draft. And still, they had minus $25 million in our results. Wow. <laughs> Edgar, yeah, this, that's got to be one of the worst drafts in history. Yeah, drafts. It's got to be up there. That's why. <laughs> At you least get, I did something right. Yeah. <laughs> you got. You earned that's yourself cool. first pick. That's you tanked on purpose, I think. Cleveland yeah. Browns. So. <laughs> Cleveland Browns <laughs> playing the long game. <laughs> yeah, the very long game. Uh, Edgar, you weren't too far behind. Third place with 133 million. Oh God! You had The Conjuring too. Which actually did pretty damn good for you. Uh, big hit of, of horror movie for the summer. Netted mm, you 100, 190 million in profits. But you also had some of the biggest bombs, such yeah. as the BFG. Oh, <laughs> the, fuck. <laughs> the rare Steven Spielberg movie that just did nothing. The one I pick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you had Ghostbusters, which. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ghostbusters. <laughs> uh, Star Trek Beyond. Very disappointing. Which, decent movie. I don't know why it did so poorly, but... Yeah, that's that one caught me by... Sur- I was really confident with that one, Star Trek, and that didn't do great. No, it was negative 23 million for you. And Jason Bourne. The newest Jason Bourne, which I was really looking forward to. You got Matt Damon back. Paul Greengrass back. But not the monetary value back. Yeah, yeah, I got. Uh, I yeah. was really confident with those two picks, and they didn't do me any any favors whatsoever. Yeah, you got hosed. But Casey, second place, second is the best. Um, Six hundred and twenty-one million, so a big jump up from those guys. 
He had Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising. That was a safe pick. The Did comedy, well, safe right? pick. He had $23 million. Finding Dory, which Oof. close to a Billy. Yeah. Uh, you didn't win with that? He got, it netted you $484 million alone for Finding Dory. Yeah, that was a good pick. Another safe pick, but good one. The Purge, election year. Yeah. Cheap budget. Uh, made you $44 million. Ice Age Collision Course, that hurt. That's the one that shocked me. Uh, yeah. Every movie before that, even though it didn't do well in terms of critical reception. Worldwide. It made so much money, each movie, yeah. before it. Uh, and this one made nothing. This one might have killed the franchise. I mean, it made $315 million worldwide, but... Compared to, I think, $700 million for the previous one. And <laughs> also, it had 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the other part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, Suicide Squad, which also got killed by critics. Made a lot of money, um, but the that, critics... It was it. easily my year to win. You robbed me. I <laughs> robbed you. All right, well, let's talk about the winner. Cha-ching, cha-ching, Bob Fallon in the house. $1.1 billion. Christ. Captain America Civil War kicked off the summer with $586 oh, yeah. million in profits. So... Take that, Finding Dory. Like, like an idiot, I saw that multiple times in theater. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate yeah, you. Oh, <laughs> um, had the Angry Birds movie, which... Did pretty well, right? It actually did okay. Yeah. Netted me $86 million. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, my worst pick. Um, went with Nostalgia Factor, Turtle Head here. <laughs> Popping out $19 million, that made me. Central Intelligence... Actually, pretty good comedy. Netted me $75 million. Not a great movie, but The Rock, he draws. And the biggest sleeper hit of the summer was The Secret Life of Pets, which made me $387 million in profits. Oh, my God. Got so Watch out for those animated movies. They'll get you. They'll get you. That's surprising that, a, that an Ice Age sequel would make such little money and yet something would come out of the blue like that that would make so much yeah it's yeah. unpredictable yeah that's why we play this game but i guess we should reset for any new listeners to a box office draft how this works it's not complicated but basically we do a snake style draft where we pick what we think will make the most money versus its budget times two because they say a movie has to at least make back twice the budget in order to be profitable. So we take that formula, we take whatever it made worldwide in the U.S. and Canada combined with the rest of the world and subtract it by its budget times two. And to make it even a little more tricky, we multiply it by its Rotten Tomatoes score to try to account for quality. Of course, Rotten Tomatoes isn't the end-all be-all, but it is a barometer and a percentage, which makes it easy. So, yeah, that is it. And this year... There's a lot of big-name movies, uh, a lot of filmmakers and franchises coming out with another release, which have the potential to break the box office and make someone this year's champion. Time will tell. What do you think about this year in general without getting into specifics? I would say this summer, though, has... Uh, uh, I wouldn't say any of the major films are guaranteed billion-dollar hits. Um, I think there's a couple, but maybe not they guaranteed. Have high, they have good chances, but the last couple of years have been guaranteed billion-dollar hits. Yeah. I mean, more than likely there's three that will do it, um, but there's no 100% guarantee. Mm -hmm. 
Edgar, what do you well, think? Competition is, yeah, I mean, to, 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 to further to, to Casey's point, I think it's the competition that's so stiff. I think not helping matters anymore is the fact that the movies we're going to be talking about over the next few minutes, I mean, they come out all year long at this point. Yeah, so if, by the time the, sun, you know, the quote summer movie season begins, I mean, shit, man, we've seen four, five, six, seven, you know, $200 million this year already. So, you know, it, it's tough to keep that momentum going, which for the purpose of our game makes it interesting. But if you're sort of just talking about movie trends, yeah, I agree. It, it, it is difficult to look at this list and say, oh, well, clearly this will make a billion dollars. Well, maybe not. I mean, you don't know how many people are going to show up anymore. They've already seen a couple billion dollar blockbusters in in february and march you know it's kind of unlike the fall draft where you could maybe just pick a star wars <laughs> in the draft um nah. if, if you're smart if you're smart yeah that's what you do <laughs> and you know you're right because beauty and the beast has made a billion dollars logan did great kong did pretty well get out um split like you know what this tells me though we need to start doing a winter slash spring box office draft now. <laughs> what do you think, Joel? How's this year looking? Um, I think it is spread out a little bit more this year compared to last year, where I think there was like one or two pretty much guaranteed big hits, and everything else pretty much like it sucked. Like I feel like everything else was a surprise. Yeah, last year was a bad year, at least in hindsight. But. So yeah. look one out. Let's, <laughs> Let's not say yeah. that. But yeah, I think there's it's top heavy year as it usually is, but there's quite a few in here that I think could be sleepers sneak up on some people. And I think an underrated portion of this game or this draft is the budget. Not always is it available the what the budget is gonna be for these movies and that could make or break you if it's a hundred or two hundred. Like that's a big swing. Oh, gigantic swing. With that being said, Last place, Larry. Let's hear it. Joel, you're up first. <laughs> All right. Actually, after thinking about this, um, I mean, I think this will be the <clears throat> top grossing movie of the year, or at least of the summer. But I think one could be close, if not surpass it, if it, things go right for it. But um, my selection it's an obvious is... Joel, Joel, it's an obvious choice. Shut up, Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> Mind games. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, I mean... All right. Yeah, that was the obvious choice. Obviously, the first one was a big surprise in gaining my victory back in 2014. Um, Yeah, huge surprise, the first one. Uh, And I feel like it's only gotten bigger over time with being on TV all the time. And I feel like it's gained more and more fans. Reason being, like, I think there is one other movie that could even possibly beat it, but... Because Guardians is a sequel, and sequels, at least when they got that train behind them, seem to do better money-wise. Yeah. Like, in terms of Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy, it was such a surprise. Now it's not. Yeah. Everyone knows about them. First one alone made $700 million about worldwide. And, uh, yeah, I feel like this one could be on pace to break a billion pretty easily. It's going to be well-reviewed. You know it's going to be well-reviewed. All, every Marvel movie is because they're the best studio in the world. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the budget will probably be like $200 million or so. So, I mean, it's got to make money. Got to spend money to make money, and it will make money. Anyone else have any qualms or 
comments? No, I mean, yeah. that's... Uh, I tried to play mind games with you, but I, I think it counter, counter, counter backfired because, because that's what I would have picked. Uh, there's also, I mean, there's a lot. There's an extremely high amount of goodwill headed into the sequel as well. I mean, the first one was so beloved. It was such a, a surprise hit that I think this is one of those Marvel sequels that people like really, really want. I think we'll all go see the, uh, the next Thor movie because it's part of that universe. We'll all go awesome. see the next, you know, Doctor Strange movie because it's part of that universe. I think we all want to go see the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And yeah. I think that's the difference. Yeah. Casey? Yeah, that's actually perfectly said. Edgar. Yeah. It's my favorite Marvel movie to date. The first one. So I would probably agree yeah, with you. I agree. All right. Edgar, top picks off the board, but still plenty to choose from. What do you got for us? Well, you know, before we recorded this evening, I said I'm very happy to be in second place. I, I would have even been happy in third place. The only one that would have scared me off a little bit would have been fourth. So clearly I'm going to be confident here, and I'm going to take – we were talking about sequels. I'm, well, the movie I'm taking is is a sequel, but not really a sequel. Uh I'm sticking with Marvel slash whatever other studio it is. I'm going. I'm going Spider Man. I'm going. Take me home, baby. I'm going Spider Man Homecoming, and I think um, while the last couple, I didn't even see the last Spider Man movie, uh, which apparently was really not good from everything I hear. It has its moments. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't even. I couldn't attest to it. I didn't see it. But the goodwill. Speaking of goodwill, and speaking of Marvel. There's so much goodwill about this new Spider-Man. He's so amazing in the, uh, not the Avengers, uh, Captain America, that, uh, and Tony Stark shows up in this one, and, and you got Michael Keaton. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's the license to print money. Even bad Spider-Man movies make money, uh, irrespective of how much they cost. And again, I think it's going to be really weird if this movie's, poorly reviewed doesn't matter what i'm gonna think of it or not uh but i think it'll be well received i think it's gonna make more than enough money because it's it's part of that universe it's marvel just they know what they're doing yeah i agree with you i mean spider-man movies always make money by themselves even if they were a little disappointed in the last one or two but you put the marvel machine behind you you put tony stark iron man in that trailer that's gonna earn you at least a hundred or two extra million right there on its own yeah, Just his mustache. <laughs> I think Tony Stark is the only thing pushing this movie. Oh I think people God. are tired of Spider-Man. Spider-Man is the Ryan Gosling of superheroes. <laughs> we don't want him anymore. <laughs> Love Spider-Man. My favorite superhero. I can't wait for this movie. I think it looks awesome. I love the coming-of-age dynamic that it looks like it's going. Tom Holland. That Holland, happens in everyone, it seems like. No way. He's the ninth grader. Oh, and, in and he's actually a teenager in this one. Yeah. Like, he wasn't even a teenager in the other ones. Or, like, or yeah, yes, he was, he was, but, like, the actor was 27 years old or whatever. <laughs> he is actually a teenager here. Yeah. So that's going to that's gonna speak to uh, an even wider audience because the teens will want to see this. And Tom Holland <laughs> stole the show in the biggest movie of last summer in Civil War. I mean, he was brilliant. He showed what he could do. I'll give him a whole movie, and he's going to take the world by storm. Uh, it's a great pick. I have it as about a $200 million budget. Conservatively, I predicted it to make $800 million thereabouts, but uh, yeah. I think it could crack a billion. could crack a billion. I don't think it will. Still, what do you th- any, any thoughts, Joel, 
I know you were uh, looking for This it. is the movie I was talking about. That If the hype train got behind it at the right time, sort of like how it happened with Deadpool, it, I could even see it being the best movie of the summer. I don't think it will happen. I think Guardians will probably be the clear winner, but I don't know. Uh, it seems like people are pretty pumped for this movie. Yeah. Casey's the only one that's not. But yeah, not it is your pick, and yeah. I am super curious here because I'm up next, and I got two in a row coming. Yeah. Please don't steal what I want. I'm, I have a couple choices that I'm thinking of. Um, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to pick. You I, might not. I almost want to pick one of them. I know one of them. I know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I, I don't know what I should do. I feel like there's a clear choice. Edgar, what were you going to choose? <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. not fair. Uh, let's see. Do I do it? He was going to take Baby Driver. I'm going to pick Wonder Woman. I'll just Wonder go for Woman? it. Wow. Yeah. You're go going DC. It. Yeah. I think it's. I don't think it's going to make a gigantic amount, but it's going to have a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's going to keep every single cent it earns, and that's going to push me over the top. Uh, Casey? Casey? Uh, that's, that's, if I were in third, that's what I would have picked. I think this is the movie that breaks the trend of crappy DC. I think this one's going to be well-received. I really do. So do I. I think it looks great. I want Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman is amazing, but uh, prove it to me first, DC. How many times have we looked forward to a movie and it's let us down? That's why I had a different choice, but it's I, I, I'm going to go with it. It was number nine on my board. Wow. Um, but I do think it has the most upside of any movie this summer because it's gonna. I feel like it's going to have a cheaper budget than The Suicide Squad, so I could have picked Batman vs Supermans of the world. I think it's going to have about a hundred and thirty million dollar budget. I have it making five hundred fifty million worldwide, but I could easily see that being a lot higher. I think if if this one if this is well received, yes. this is the one that changes the game for DC because yes. a it's a comic book movie, b it's a very well known character, so you know the fan the fanboys are coming out, and c to state the obvious, it's finally one headed by a woman director and all this, yeah. but a female character. So if if it can be well received, this one's gonna go. Yeah. It's going to bring so. a, a broader audience, I think. So. Uh, that's messed up, man. That's so misogynist. Broader audience? Wow. Ah. <laughs> but I am, uh, am going to take my daughter to see it because it's finally, you know, a superhero that she can maybe get behind and relate to. Or at least, you know, it, it's a woman or a girl. So, And I'm sure other people are going to do the same. I think it yeah. has a lot of potential. But I just... A wondrous woman. <laughs> prove it to me first. So you're a pick. I have a strategy here. We'll see how this plays out. Fourth pick in the draft. The top obvious ones are off the board, so it gets a little tricky for me. Um, but I'm not going to... Let's see. I don't think you're going to guess either one of my picks. All right. Oh, fuck. You got two in a row, right? Yeah. Snake yeah, which is ridiculous because there's two good fuck. picks. Um, it's animation domination. In the Bob Fallon household. Despicable Me 3. Of course it was. Is first. Are you serious? I'm the one who taught you about the uh, animated ways. (laughs) And and Cars 3 is my second pick. That's insane. You just lost. Thank you for it. Um, (laughs) Animated sequels. Kids are coming in droves. I do think Despicable Me 3 is the much better pick because 
if you look at the box, I mean, not the box office, the, the budget for these movies, the Despicable Me movies, the Minions movies, it's seven, like, $75 million budget. Yeah. And that's insane. they've made, I think the last, uh, Minions made almost a billion dollars. Despicable Me wow. 2 made like $890 million. If this thing makes a billion dollars and costs that cheap, game over. So, yeah, there's that. And there's also Cars 3, Pixar, who is just on a roll, Finding Dory, Inside Out. They are cracking close to a billion dollars every time out in the last few years. I do. I am skeptical of Cars 3 because everyone hates Cars, the first two Cars, except for kids. But that's the key demographic. Well, you know, it's, it's easy to say everybody hates it, but they're making a third one. So yeah, clearly they there's, something. <laughs> so there's yeah. something right in the eyes of a couple people. And another thing that has me wary, it's going to be expensive. Pixar is way more expensive than other animated studios, so it'll probably be $200 million budget. And the first two Cars movies, I think the first one went from like $450 million, and then the second one went up to $570 million. So it didn't make this huge leap that a lot of sequels do. I, I think it'll make maybe $650 million. No. But... And it's not going to be as well received as some Pixar movies, in my opinion. You're going so. to make about five hundred million, which means you'll have a hundred million profit. Take away fifty percent because of the Rotten Tomatoes score, you get fifty million. It's possible. You just wasted it's your possible. Pick. But again, I think this is another one with <laughs> another one with big upside because the, it could be a billion dollars. I don't think it's super likely, but. It's I'm going animation domination over here. Wow. What, <laughs> the, what were the run to does anybody have the run tomato scores for the first two cars films? I can surely look that up real quick. Cars two can't be higher than sixty five. I think I'm the like only person in the world who liked the second one better than the first one. But let's see. Cars three? No. Cars two. Talking why search. Um car what the fuck? Cars 2 was 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. What? But the first one was 74%, and the trailer for the third one actually looks pretty interesting. I don't have any faith that it will be, but it could get more butts in seats. Hmm. Joel, what do you think of my strategy? I mean, it's fairly sad. I don't know about Cars 3, but you're right. that When you have kids as your main demographic... Yeah, there's a ton of money behind that. The only because thing, it's not the parents really deciding what they want to watch for the most part. It's right. the kids bugging them, and then the parents got to go with them. And yeah, absolutely. The one, the one thing that strikes me here is the fact that they're two weeks apart. If I have my release dates correctly, so that could go either one of two ways. The kids, you know, it's new, it's shiny, so they've already forgotten what came out on June 16th. It's June 30th. Let's go see the Despicable Me. Or the fact that two animated movies not that far apart, you know, maybe the Despicable Me won't make as much money because everybody saw Cars 3 a couple weeks ago. I don't know. I could see it going either way, but that might be a potential. Hopefully, in my case, that'll <laughs> trip you over. I hope so. That is that is a good thing I didn't necessarily think about, but doesn't deter me. <laughs> I, the, my only thing, now, anyways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only thing that deters me is I left a pretty good pick here for Casey coming back uh, around. You, I think you left a couple good picks, and I'm kind of wondering... Do I go big or do I go home? Please go home. No. <laughs> Let's go with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep, yep. That's... Yeah. I I mean, the last two at least broke a billion, right? 
Yes. Um, so this one, no, it's, I, it's been a little bit of time, yeah. uh, but I think the audience is still there to get it into the eight eight hundred million range. Um, I don't know. I don't know the cost at all. Uh, here's why I didn't take it. Two fifty. Okay. Right. Well, first I heard it was scheduled for a two hundred fifty dollar budget, and they went over budget by about <laughs> seventy million. So I mean that would put it at three hundred twenty million dollar no, budget. That's insane. I don't see I don't see any way that that's going to be reported. No. So even if it's true, they will say it's not. So it's going to at most be two fifty. I would yeah. say. But, but I doubt yeah, it. we have to go on what they'll release, not yeah. what I yes, think is. Exactly. The only thing about this movie is I just wonder if it'll be reviewed well enough. Oh, it's going to be reviewed great. Oh, 100%. Oh, you think 100%. It's good? Really? I'm not getting that vibe. Yeah, I'm not getting that vibe. Either. I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I'm hoping around 70% or so. That would be good for you. Yeah. I actually think it's going to make a billion dollars. But that high budget wow. and low Rotten Tomatoes score potential yeah. deterred me. And... Well, I think Wonder Woman, I put it 650 with the potential to be higher. This, I expect a billion with definitely potential to be lower because it's been so long. Johnny Depp's been through a lot lately. His uh, star has waned a little bit. Yeah, no, it's, it's waned a lot. Um, and I just think there's... Uh, I agree. It's a risky people move. People are getting tired of it. It's a risky move, but uh, go big or go home. That's right. That's right. All right. That's interesting. I had a number six on my board. Edgar, back to you, and still plenty of to choose from. Yeah, and um, I am going to pick. Um, I'm hesitating between two films here, but I think I'm going to go. Uh, clearly, I can't learn from my own lessons because I'm going to take something that comes out not too f- long after Spider Man. Uh, I'm going to take War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, that was, that was my other thing. choice. I nice think that's going to, well, yeah, well, it comes out the week after Spider-Man, but I think it's going to be extremely, I mean, this series is just on freaking fire as far as reviews go, and, and you know, it, it's going to make money. Um, I, I'm interested to see how much money it's going to make, but the, review, the reviews will favor me. It will make money. I think it's going to be pretty consistent, and I think... Anyways, I won't say, you know, if, we'll get to that if, if it's picked. I won't say what my other pick would have been, but I think it's going to have a bit of breathing room uh, with respect to what comes out after it. Yeah. But I was tempted by something else. Well, I mean, how does it? How did the other movies do worldwide in terms of box office? Oh, well, good thing you asked, because since I wrote over 3,000 words previewing this summer's box office for Baltimore Sports and Life, check it out on Friday. I did some research into this, and I think it's going to cost about $175 million as far as budget. Uh, the first one made $550 million about, and the second one got a pretty big bump up to like $680 million, I think, off memory. It's, it definitely got a, like, a big jump up, and I feel like this could go even higher. I have it predicted at $750 million worldwide, so, and it's... I think it's going to have a good Rotten Tomatoes score unless things go terribly wrong. It's one of the best or underrated trilogies of recent times. So I Interesting. think it's, it's a great pick. So I mostly agree, but the last trailer has me a little bit worried, at least um, review score-wise. You think so? I think it will make money, but the like I was fair. We watched how many trailers of this so far? Two or three? <laughs> yeah, two. The last trailer, it seemed to have 
the entire plot. Yeah, if you're in that, so all the way to the very end of the movie, don't which watch I that. can only assume. Um, it, that's generally not a good sign to me, but I don't know. Yeah. No, it's a great... I, I can't see you losing money, though. No, no, definitely not. And it's July is a great month for, for blockbusters, so... Yeah, I think that's the best pick right there. It was number four on my board. It was very close to me taking it with my second pick. Interesting. Joel? All right. So, I get two in a row? I got two in a row. Party All right, Guardians. I, my first pick is, I think what Edgar just mentioned is uh, Dunkirk. Yes. Mm. Come on. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it's, the, it's the money that worries me. It's yes. the money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. But I don't think... What's that? What else is Spider-Man? It comes out the third week of July. Spider-Man's the first, then more for the Planet of the Apes, and then Dunkirk. That's why July is like gangbusters. But yeah. it, it's a great pick. I mean, I feel like Steven Spielberg, not Steven Spielberg, uh, Christopher, Christopher Nolan is like the closest these days to Steven Spielberg where it doesn't matter. He doesn't need a franchise attached anymore. As long as his name is attached to it, it seems like he can sell. Interstellar made $650 million. Um, Inception. Inception made almost a billion dollars. It's, I feel like, and it's it's not going to be cheap. It's going to cost, I don't know, maybe 150 million dollars, but it, I think it's going to make at least 600 million if oh, things hold up yeah. the way they have been. Yeah, it, it's sort of like a shame. There's like not awards for this because I I can see this movie taking him yeah, a gonna... ton of awards for special effects and yeah. cinematography. I was watching movie. something the other day. It's a five minute long one take sequence, and it, God, the track they must have had for these cameras must have been a mile I, long or something. I took my my little brother to see um, King Kong uh, on IMAX. Uh, last month or a few weeks ago, and and they didn't play trailer for Dunkirk. They played like five minutes of it. Oh wow! Yeah, I think that and we're talking about the same thing. It's going to be batshit insane. Like this movie is going to be amazing. I'm going to tell you that. I mean, I know, I know. For the draft, we are enemies, <laughs> but I hope this does well box office wise because it's going to be. Different. It's not a Spider-Man. It's not a Planet of the Apes. It's not a Guardians. It's a World War II action drama. You don't see those in the summer anymore. Last one was maybe Saving Private Ryan, which was you know really hot shit. I hope this does well. I just don't know if it will do as well. Are people going to flock? I'm not saying it's going to lose money. It'll make some money. You're not going to be necessarily in the red with this pick, but I don't. I don't know how well it's going to do. That's why I didn't take it. It's it, yeah. We're, we're in the age. Twenty years ago, you've practically won the draft. Yeah. In 2017, I'm like, is this a summer movie? That's sort of the question I'm wondering. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I guess I'm kind of hoping just the director, and maybe it's refreshing enough that it'll get some buzz. I I think maybe. This movie might have some like maybe not opening weekend be gangbusters, but maybe it sticks around for a little some while. Longevity. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah, yeah, and I, actually, I think I was reading Entertainment Weekly, and Nolan was saying that 
they pretty much <laughs> he made his cinematographer pretty much use the IMAX camera handheld throughout this entire movie. And those things are gigantic. Those are yeah, heavy. Yeah. So he said he's paying for his cinematographer to get massages in between shoots, but <laughs> it's going to pay off in the end. And yeah, it's going to be well reviewed. There's no question about it. What's your second pick in a row here? All right. Um, I'm not going to go the blockbuster route. Okay, interesting. I think choice. I am going to sort of bet against you, Bob. Or, or maybe not. I think this movie is different enough that you really won't have the same demographic. Well, you definitely won't have the same demographic, but all eyes on me. All eyes on ah. me. Okay. Just because uh, how well uh, what Straight Out Compton did, I can't imagine the budget is insane. Yeah. And I think Tupac is probably the, the most interesting person of that era, at least. So I think people will flock to see it. Yeah, this is the Tupac biopic, which we discussed the trailer of last week. Um, I think you could be onto something here. I just think you might have picked it too early. I think it could have still been there for you on your next pick. Yeah, I'm just I'm a little iffy on some of the things that I think maybe I should be picking because of no, previous trips. That's fair. They'd rather go for. Uh, what could be a surprise hit a la Straight Outta Compton it can't be expensive then a, a big budget flop yeah certain, uh, it certainly has upside you don't want to be the next Ghostbusters or or uh, Tomorrowland Terminator. <laughs> or Terminator Terminator yeah so mm. alright I, I don't hate it I don't hate it it's no Snowden I'll say that <laughs> <laughs> oh no I think this has a much better chance than than Snowden yeah. and it's in a tougher season too and I still think it has a better chance Yes. Edgar, it's back to you for your third pick. Yeah, well, this is where things get interesting because once you get your two almost surefire hits out of the way, which I think I have with Spider-Man and and Apes, you sort of get tempted to go like, well, what's going to be my smaller budgeted film but that's still going to make so much money? Like, it doesn't even matter if it sucks Um, because it just didn't cost that much um so i am going with you know what it's uh, boys it's ladies night uh, i'm gonna go with rough night all right wow uh, which is you guys uh, are I mean, leaving R- some picks open what is this r-rated comedy uh which are making a lot of money these days uh, it's it's going for a different demographic uh, than than they usually are. Although I I still think some chaps the chaps will be brought to the cinema by their lady friends to see it anyways. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it's going to do really well. Um, it's not surrounded by too many comedies, anyways. There aren't that many comedies. I don't know. Maybe I've overlooked some when I looked at the schedule, but I'm not. I saw a few, but it's definitely not a comedy somewhere. No, there's not a ton. So this is sort of that comedy. It's in mid-June, uh, so it's a bit of a, a breath of fresh air after, you know, you know the, the, the comic book movies and the sci-fi movies. And and the ladies are going to come out. It's going to be sweaty in, in the theater. You can feel it in the air tonight, and let's fuck, and, uh, <laughs> you know, let's do this. Let's get on, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't hate it. Again, I similar to All Eyes on Me, I feel like 
Could have got it on your next pick. Oh, you would have definitely got it on your next pick. Me and Bob are the champs here. We're not picking that small stuff. Oh, my gosh. Don't put me in the (laughs) trash talk. We're going to go with the big one here for my pick. Hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. Um, But I don't hate it because, again, a big flop is going to hurt you more than a small success. And much like in fantasy sports, instead of what the appropriate pick on the board might be in that spot, I'd rather take the player I want and feel like is going to surprise than the guy that yeah. I'm taking. And, and I think to, to, to Casey, that's true. And to Casey's point, uh, or, or to counter Casey's point, the more blockbusters you pay, they can't all make money. That's the problem. Well, that's, that's the fun of the game. That's the problem for the studios. Yes. They can't all make money. There's so uh, every single week. Maybe there's a week off in the summer where it's something like Rough Night. But other than that, every single week it's a $200 million film. They're not all going to make money. So you almost have to shake it up a little bit. There are multi-million dollar films left on the table. Yes, there are. Some of these are going to go down the toilet. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, to counter that point. Yeah, they're not going to go bananas in the U.S., but worldwide, such as my next pick, which is Transformers, the dark, what is it? The, the last night. The last night. Um, yeah, it's not going to make more than 200, 300 million in the U.S. Worldwide, it will make another 800 million at least. Going I, over picked, a billion. I picked the Transformers film a few years ago, and it didn't help me because it was so fucking poorly reviewed. Yeah, the Rotten yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's a 100% review or something, it doesn't matter how much money it makes but, for the most part. But here's the thing. Your last pick is going to net you, after everything, probably about $70 million at most. You have to be realistic. 70 to $80 million. That's positive. That's positive. Transformers. Yes, it's caught, it costs a lot. Probably two hundred and sixty million to make two sixty. I don't know about two sixty. That's what I saw in my research. We'll take a look at that. For, let's say two ten. I'll go. With of course, I won't put anything official until it's on box office. Uh, I'll even go two fifty. Let's go two fifty for a round number. Uh, it makes one point three billion dollars, which is very, very. It will not make that much money. Every it'll not uh, make that much money. You're insane. The last one made one point one billion dollars. One point two billion. Oh yeah. The one before that. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Ooh. So, but it had Rotten Tomatoes score of like ten percent or something. Yeah. Well, see, the surprising thing is, yeah, in the U.S. it made about two hundred million worldwide. It made over eight hundred and like sixty. Yeah. Uh, And that's what matters. I don't care about the U.S. You got to carry about care about the world market. Uh, and Transformers dominates the world market. Yes, it's going to get a 40% or less. Guys, but guess what? That means I get $200 million. Guys, I'm getting deja vu. I feel like I heard the same thing about Ice Age Collision Course last year. Uh... <laughs> Ooh. We'll see. We'll see in August what happens. <laughs> and I always but really he, But if this movie costs... Two hundred million bucks. You double the budget twice. That's four hundred million. If it makes a billion dollars, that's six hundred million dollars profit over your doubled budget. If it's like a ten percent run tomato score, you're making sixty million bucks. Yeah, rough night beat it out. But it's it is one hundred percent guaranteed to be profitable. Sixty million dollars. You've made sixty. That's on the low million. end. That's on the low end. More than likely, let's say one point two billion gets thirty percent. That's up to now into the 180 million range or so. 
There you go. Michael Bay made his masterpiece. If that's, this thing gets an 80% not a lot of somehow, money. for a third round pick, that's a decent amount. I mean, if this thing gets better than 50%, we're in trouble, but I'm not counting on that. Oh, if it even gets close to 50%, game over. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, again, I, I picked that a few oh, summers man. ago, though. I picked that. It didn't do that well for me, and it made a lot of money. But, but when did you pick it, though? You picked it first round, didn't you? I don't remember when I picked it. But. All right. I guess, is it okay for me to go? Yeah, sure. And it doesn't matter at this point. I've already won. <laughs> That's, not true. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I've got a strategy, and I'm going to stick with it. Animation Domination. The oh, Emoji okay. Movie Ooh. is being picked. Wow. Are you serious? Yep. This is the Angry Birds movie oh. of 2017. It's it's not going to be. It's not going to do great, but like you said, I think it's going to do. Angry Birds did three hundred eighty million last year. I think it'll be somewhere in that range worldwide. It's not going to get great reviews, but this is another animated movie that I don't think is going to be expensive. Yeah, there were two other animated films that you should have chose from. Really, one, uh, and I'm surprised you didn't go with. Well, them. I didn't, but uh, I think it's going to be sixty to seventy-five million dollar budget. So all it's going to need to do is make $150 million, and I'm profitable. Uh, we'll see. I'm not That's looking forward to the movie. It looks terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's not in my most anticipated or anything like that. But I got a strategy. Got to stick with it. Until now with my fourth pick, because I'm going the Edgar route with the comedy, but I'm going with Baywatch. Yeah, I thought that's what you were going to take. I uh, just feel like this is going to be the 21 Jump Street of this year, of this era. A uh, underrated, I think it'll be surprisingly well-reviewed and surprisingly make a lot of money. Even if it's Neighbors, Neighbors 2 kind of deal, $50 million budget, maybe make $300 million with a decent 70% Rotten Tomato score. I'll take that with my fourth pick. Interesting. See, the, I I was looking at this one, but I, I didn't look at it for very long. This this is to me this is one of the big question marks of the movie. I have no idea what's going to happen with this. Well, there's definitely something big about it with Alexander Daddario starring. But, Oof, uh, yeah, no, I like her a lot. <laughs> yeah, this I mean this could backfire on me for sure, but there's always that one comedy at least that kind of steals the show in the summer. Casey, what do you think? You were you gonna shit on me for this one too? No, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know much about the film, uh, to be honest. Uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron star the reboot of the. Oh, Baywatch. Sorry, I was thinking. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going to make you money, but not much. All right, I'll take it. Doesn't matter because Despicable Me is going to make me like a billion. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You guys are just leaving though. These like amazing picks. Let's hear it. That is, uh, so there are two main ones left that is insane no one has taken yet. Speak into um, the mic. <laughs> let's see. I'm going to choose Baby Driver as my guaranteed uh, profit uh, maker. It's not going to make much. It's, it's not going to make, make anything. Oh, are you I'm, serious? It's one of my most anticipated movies of the summer, but it's not going to It's going to get good reviews. It's not going to make any money whatsoever. I don't know about yeah. that. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's very cheap. It's 
probably True. going to make about seventy to eighty million dollars. Yeah. Uh, in profit and keep pretty much all of it. Maybe I don't know, man. This is going to be like what was that Jeff Bridges black and white movie that you took a few years ago? I, Young adult uh, novel adaptation. Anyway, I, the I giver. mean yeah. the giver. Um, I'm really excited for Baby Driver. I just think it does not belong. I had it as my number 16 on my list. So I guess not as low as I originally thought, but I think it's a reach. Uh, it's it's my safe pick. I'm not. It's not. I mean, as Edgar said, you can't go for everything. <laughs> oh, now you agree with what he um, says. But it's it's my safe pick. I'm going to go risky for my last one if no one takes it. But I hope it does well. I really do because it looks great. Yeah, so do I. I mean, it's. I'm. I'm I saw the trailer and it it, it looks pretty cool. I, I like the director. I, I like the director a lot, actually. And, uh, no, I hope it does well, but that's, I, I definitely would not have picked it in, in, in a summer box office draft. Yeah. We'll see. Time will tell. I mean, I hope you're right. This is a rare, just like with Dunkirk with Joel, uh, I hope you're right, but I just don't Dunkirk see it. Dunkirk is going to do better. I, yeah. I mean, that's the better pick, absolutely, but. All right. All right. Edgar, I have a feeling I know what you're going to take here. I'm surprised it lasted really? this long, so we'll see. Um... You know what? I'm I'm not even sure. I'm I'm looking at two movies here. One of them's huge, although I I don't think it has enough breathing room. That's the problem. The other one definitely is not going to cost very much, but I know it's going to make money. Um, oof. oof, 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 oof. Okay, you know what? You know what? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Fuck. You know what? It's my fourth pick. I'm gonna go with the heart, which might lose me this draft. Uh, I'm gonna go with Alien Covenant. Yep, that's what I figured. Uh, Alien Covenant. I think, I think this one, unlike Prometheus, although Prometheus wasn't like thrashed or anything, but it definitely wasn't that well received. I think this one's gonna find its its groove. It's a it's a respected franchise, despite what's happened in the last few entries and those Alien vs Predator films. It's still a respected franchise, um, notwithstanding a few exceptions over the past decade. Ridley Scott movies still tend to do well box office wise, yeah. Even when they're original movies, the and this is a very well known franchise, and I, I and I think it will be it'll be received with warmer arms than Prometheus was. Yeah, mm. for sure. My worry is the breathing room. It's not too long after Guardians. It's just before um, Bay... Well, again, Baywatch is a bit of a mystery, but uh, it's sort of it's sort of between Guardians and, and Wonder Woman, which is a bit of a dangerous place to be. Yeah. But it's got those two weeks there, so I'm going to take it. Yeah, I saw your post on Facebook saying that you're excited for it. Uh, it's a franchise, probably going to cost $150 million. I have it making a little over $400 million. It's just not a very financially uh, successful, like hugely successful franchise, even as yes. bad as it is. Yeah, th this is sort of, I guess, you know, to, to, to offer a bit of praise to Casey, this is sort of my lower pick that will give me a few bucks, you know, that I need, you know. 
Yeah. But by a few bucks, we're probably talking about 100 to 150 million bucks. Like, that's decent. But it's, it's, there's a reason why it wasn't any of my first two picks. But I'm okay with my as with it as my fourth pick. Oh, yeah. So it'll give me some money. It's a steal that low. I had it at number 11 on my list. Joel, any thoughts on Alien? And then get us to your last two official picks. Um, I kind of feel how Edgar does. I think it's a well enough respected franchise that I could do well. I'm not sure how well it would do. I can't imagine the budget is really small for it. But um, uh, did anyone see the prelude that they put out or whatever to the movie? No. I think it came out today. No, I'm, I've already seen enough trailers, man. I, it, I, well, I, I think it's just killed. before the movie starts. It's just the in-between Prometheus and Don't want to see it. I don't, don't think wanna, it has it any scenes from the actual movie. Doesn't matter. I don't want to see anything more. I've seen enough already. <laughs> Does it look but, good, though? Yeah, actually, uh, the last trailer or so, I mean, I'm so excited to see it. it made me slightly iffier about it, but the um, I liked this. All right. And I, I like Prometheus a lot, so maybe. Yeah. I, I like it, too. I like it, too. All right, let's hear your next two picks. All right. Um, I'm slightly torn on this one, but... Between two, they come out basically at the same time. But I think the Dark Tower will do to better. I like it. I like that pick. Yeah. I mean, it's mm. it could be one of the big sleepers, or it could do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and with the fourth pick, I mean, it, I feel like it's worth it. Oh, yeah. It's a definitely... It's. Uh, I was hoping it lasted to me because I wanted it. There was a chance I was yeah. going to take it as well. Just because it's the last decent-looking movie in all, in of the summer, it comes out August fourth. Yeah. There's like nothing after that I would even consider taking. Uh-huh. So, and it's not going to be expensive, I don't think. I think it's actually going to be produced at a fairly cheap budget, sixty, seventy-five million dollars. So, oh, that's good. I mean, I don't know how much it's going to do internationally, but I do think it, it's going to at least make its money back. And with room to breathe in August, September, it might actually do fairly well. So, yeah, I love that pick. Sweet, sweet. Um, uh, I'm, yeah, I don't know. What do you do with the last pick sometimes? <laughs> yeah, you, it's, you just have fun with it. I know what I'm, I already know what I'm picking, if it's still available. Yeah. I think I'm going to go against my usual um, instincts with a horror movie. All right, all right. And for my fifth pick, I'll take It Comes at Night. Another one. I like that pick, too. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, there's always one horror movie every summer, it seems like, that that people got to go see because there's not much else out there other than big action movies or superhero movies. So people are looking to get their fixes. And this looks really good. This movie looks really creepy. Joel Edgerton. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say it more so because of what you just said, the actors. I don't know a whole, whole lot about it, though. But yeah, I think it's a pretty solid last pick. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Edgar, finish it up. Well, yep. uh, so my last pick is I, I've been noticing a trend the last few years. Studios will release 
a horror movie in August that tends to make money. It's funny you said Dark Tower is the last movie that might be making some money because next week, next week, the week after that is actually the Annabelle sequel, hmm. and uh, that is my fifth pick. It's it's we know it doesn't cost a lot, and they're making a sequel, so the first one made money. It's part of that whole Conjuring franchise, so that's another reason why we'll make money. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's, I, I'm happy with it as my fifth pick. I, and it has that August breathing room. Last last year it was um, the thing with the blind guy. <laughs> I can't remember what that was. Uh, where they go in the house and oh, the dude's yeah. blind. Um, uh, the year where it was the. Um, the year where it was the Jason Bateman, Joel Edgerton thriller, like all those, these little things come out in August and they make like 70, 80 million bucks, you know? So uh, it's sort of the end of the summer season. It doesn't cost very much. It's a little different because there hasn't been much horror. So these things just seem to make money and it's a sequel. So yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Could give you that extra little push at the end of the, end of the season. You might need it. Yeah. All right. What's uh, what's the subtitle on that? Uh, creation. Creation. Okay. It's not great, James great Wan, though, right? Pardon me? It's not James Wan as director. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. All right, Casey? All right. So, I feel like there's two big picks left. Yeah. Uh, and they're really risky. Yeah. And so, do I go the animated route, which I think is a little bit more safe, uh, or do you go with a true... Uh, uh, tried and true actor who is just he's able to push a movie uh, to the box office uh, records uh, Edgar pick one or two pardon me pick the number one or two what do you mean pick the number one or two choose you're one just, you're flipping a coin for yeah. uh, sure uh, do you want me to do you tell number me one? number yeah, one number one so I'm going to pick Captain Underpants. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is a movie with a lot of star voice actors. Um, uh, it is very well known uh, in the U.S. Uh, and I believe uh, in parts of Europe. Uh, I'm hoping it is a sleeper uh, pick in terms of animated. You have Despicable Me 3, you have Cars 3, and then you have Captain Underpants. Emoji movie is uh, going to do better. No, it's not going to do better. Um, <laughs> You're I, also picking that. You picked Wonder Woman. Those are the same. That's the same weekend. True, but they're completely different audiences. Um, and you picked it for me. So when I win, <laughs> you can only blame yourself. Uh, the <laughs> other movie is more than likely the one Bob is going to pick. Uh it's very risky. It's it super is, risky. But I don't have any um, blockbusters like that yet. Yeah. So I just, I couldn't, I mean, well, you chose it for me. So I think Captain Underpants, uh, I don't know the budget, but I'm hoping around $60 million. Probably. Uh, and if that's the case, I will make money. Joel, you had this book, did you not? Yeah. I remember it. I had like uh, one or two of them. Yeah. The only reason I, I didn't realize it was ever so popular, the only what was it, the Scholastic Book Fair or whatever? Yeah, yeah. That's the only time I ever saw these things. But. <laughs> I mean, kids are reading it today. Uh, really? They're still making new books. It's just as prevalent as it was 
10, 15, 20 years ago. Okay, so. I think that's easily the fourth best animated movie of the summer, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> There's a reason animation domination didn't even take it. So, All right. All right. Yeah, you're right. I am going to take The Mummy with my last pick of the official yeah. draft. You just I, picked the Terminator Judgment of the Sun. Possibly, or I really think it's going to do well. I you think it's going to do very well. I do, too. This movie looks like Gosh. garbage. But it's Tom Cruise. He doesn't pick bad movies. Yeah. And I just was looking at uh, his mm. most recent stuff. I mean, for pretty much his entire career, the lowest uh, movie was $33 million. That's his entire career. Um, well, a couple, uh, I'll tell you guys a story. Uh, 2014 summer box office draft. <laughs> I'm thinking Tom Cruise, hot <laughs> shit, great movie coming out. Genius over here takes Edge of Tomorrow. Amazing and movie. that destroyed me. And so it, it, I love Tom Cruise. I'm a big, big Tom Cruise supporter. I love the guy. Um, I don't know about this film. I, I will admit I'm not necessarily sold on the trailer. But my point is, in this day and age, in his this part of his this stage of his career, it seems as though if it's not an if it's not a Mission Impossible movie, he doesn't actually carry the box office. So that's why I didn't touch it. And that is risky, and that's true. Uh, but Edge of Tomorrow, like one of the best action sci-fi movies of this decade. Um, so I I do think he picks good scripts. So I think it'll be surprisingly well reviewed. I think it'll be maybe in a 60 to 70% range, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's, I think it's going to cost around $150 million, so big budget. But the trailer, it makes it look like it takes the classic Mummy movie franchise and some Mission Impossible thrown in. Like, he's still doing these crazy stunts, Mission Impossible style. Um, the franchise as a, as a whole, the, the last two sequels that came out, both made around $400 million worldwide, and that was a while ago. And those were bad ones. Yeah, so I'm thinking it's going to at least make that $400 million that had been going, so it could give me $50 million in my pocket, but there's yeah. some upside, and there's certainly some downside. Yeah, it's risky, but it's risky. I, I think it was the better of the two picks, and uh, Edgar screwed me over with that one, <laughs> yeah. so I appreciate it, Edgar. As long as this movie doesn't absolutely bomb... It's yeah. a pretty good fifth pick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Now You See Me too. last year was Edgar's Reserve, and it actually made the second most of any movie he picked at like <laughs> $57 million. So even these bad and, movies that don't seem like they're going to be great, they can still bring in a little bit of money. And, and now we know why he never won a summer box office draft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get to our reserves, just in case one of our top five picks get moved to a different date outside of the summer. I don't think it's ever happened, but you never know. It ha- I mean, it, it has happened to me once, right? It, that's when we didn't pick a reserve. Yeah, which was very nice. Yes. Because I think I had the sequel to uh, 300. Yeah, that's which right. Which was bad. Yeah. So it's not common, but it does happen, and we got to be prepared for anything in this very important draft. So we're still snaking. I get the first pick in the reserve. Um, I'm going to go Detroit as my reserve pick. Decent pick. Um, Catherine, James Cameron's ex-wife, Catherine Bigelow's newest movie, director of Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker. It's going to be well-reviewed. The trailer looks great. This is another one that could hit 
with a different demographic or people that want to actually go see a serious movie in the summer. Um, trailer looks great. It's about like the Detroit riots in the '60s, so it's got some pretty decent themes that still resonate today with the cops um, doing some not so nice things. So, yeah, give me Detroit. It's a movie I'm looking forward to, so might as well have it in case I need it in emergency. Uh, I'm going to go with, I think no one has picked House, or The House, with Will Ferrell. Um, oh, House? Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Where he's, In order to pay for his daughter's college, he opens up a casino in his basement, and it seems to go crazy. Yeah, I thought it was The House. Could uh, be. Let's see, it is The, yeah, it is the House, right. uh, with Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler. Um, safe no. pick, it's, I mean, it's, you know. Yeah, not terrible. Not yeah. terrible at all. Edgar, reserve. Um, reserve. I'll take uh, I'll take Atomic Blonde. It's basically John Wick with a woman, so uh, that should do okay. Yeah, the trailer looks awesome. Uh, I've not Stern. seen the trailer. I'm 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 trying to go in cold as much as I can here. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you should. There's I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's a part in the trailer that has me super excited to see this movie. So. Yeah, that was a good pick. Joel? I'll go Resident Evil, whatever the subtitle's called. Uh, um, let's see. I'm trying to find it. Wasn't the Resident Evil movie like two months ago or something like that? Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. I gotta make sure this is in the right window frame. But for them to make like five movies, they have to make some. I mean, it's a reserve pick anyway, but. Resident must Evil, make something. the final chapter. Yeah. It was released in January 2016. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I apologize. Let's see if how good it would have done for you. <laughs> Not too bad. $40 million budget. It made over $300 million worldwide. Yeah, that's fantastic. Sorry. Oh, uh, you know what? That's I, cheating. When, <laughs> the list I was looking at, it's like a... Whatever, like a 3D release or some stupid thing like that. Okay. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam, do you pick Annabelle yet? Yep. Edgar took oh, that. Man. Yeah. This is what happens in the reserve, reserve <laughs> round, the last pick. All right, you're the last guy to pick. I'll just name some stuff that has been picked yet, if everyone's okay with that. King Arthur is a good choice. King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. All right, give me King Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say... That's like the most obvious thing. Yeah. I don't know. I was going to say uh, Valerian in a City of a Thousand Planets. Yeah. Jesus. Looks like a risky, but I think it's going to bomb, but it's big budget, could do well. Looks kind of yeah. cool. I'm surprised no one picked it. Yeah, also, let's see if there's anything. Snatch, the comedy with uh, Amy Schumer and the older lady. Uh, yeah, but I think we got pretty much all the notable movies coming out this summer. So, yeah. That was a lot of fun, guys. Uh, let me recap real quick everyone's teams and we can get out of here. We got Joel Fallon with Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, Dunkirk, All Eyes on Me. The Dark Tower, It Comes at Night, <laughs> Don't They All, and King Arthur in Reserve. Pretty solid team right there. Next up is Edgar Chaput with Spider-Man Homecoming, War for the Planet of the Apes, Rough Night, Alien Covenant, Annabelle Creation, and Atomic Blonde as his reserve. Again, 
very pretty good squad. Very pretty good. That's interesting. Very pretty good. It can be both. <laughs> one or the other. And Casey's got Wonder Woman, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, uh, Transformers, The Last Night, Baby Driver, Captain Underpants, and The House as his reserve. Like his first three picks. Not so sure about the second, but so far, I think it's very evenly matched. And then, returning champ, about to do it again. One more time for the homies. Despicable Me 3, Cars 3, The Emoji Movie, Baywatch, The Mummy, and Detroit as my reserve. Um, I'm not confident. I'm not super confident, but I... I think you do have the best squad right now. I feel like you. you guys have, like... Top heavy teams where mine is a little more well rounded, but top heavy usually wins in this type of situation. So, everyone feeling confident? I feel pretty good about my team. Nice. I, well, I know I'm going to win, so <laughs> I must be confident. Back to back drafts could be won by Edgar. But, all right, yeah, let's get on out of here, get the folks ready for uh, next week where we will be reviewing. The Handmaiden, and going over our top five con artist movies. And we can be found online. Edgar? Uh, I write for a website called www.cutprintfilm.com, bit of film noir and franchise retrospectives. And I'm on Twitter at double O-pop. I don't even know how to write it. Double underscore O-H underscore P-O-P. <laughs> yes, indeed. Good follow there. Joel, you're on Twitter. At Redbox Reporter. Casey? I'm at Casey Brady. I'm at The Oil Report. The podcast is at The Redbox Report. Feel free to email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at TheRedBoxReport at Yahoo.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. And I sincerely apologize to Ray Charles' family. Uh, that was very <laughs> distasteful. We'll see you next time. Okay.